Hello and welcome to the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. Hello. Weird <laughs> that, isn't it? Normally I start with a sponsor. Yeah, yeah. It's... But because we're doing a review of 2018... We don't have time for sponsors. Uh, well, no one paid enough. No. But we do have time for guest. <laughs> Paul Hudson. Dreadful. Hello. And Sorry, that was week... a review of Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that was a review of your intro. Uh, hello, Paul. Hello, and this week is brought to you by Violet Hayes Productions and their first short film, Alice and L. I am expecting some financial reparation for this because this. Was I not am going to give you financial <laughs> reparations as soon as I get any. Uh, okay, so talk, talk to us about Violet Hayes. What do they do? Violet Hayes is a new and cutting edge film production company <laughs> hailing out of the Midlands in the UK. Um, it took you. It took you so many seconds to think of the word cutting edge. Yeah. Oh no! It was film production company. Yeah, you was, forgot what it actually yeah, that, is. That was the part. I, I was. I was unsure whether I was going to limit myself to. So, that. talk to me about Violet Hayes. Tell me what makes you uh, tick. What's your ethos? Our ethos is to make money, but do that through film. I feel like preferably. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, no. It's, setting your stall out that way early on. I think. People are off board with you, Paul. Does not everyone want You're to make money pig. somehow? No, it's it's, it's just a, a, it's a fact of life to make films. So where where can people find your work slash so uh, like link up with you? So far on YouTube, yes, we are Violet Hage Productions. Yep, that makes sense. Smash um, the like and subscribe and ring that bell. On uh, Instagram, it's at Violet Hayes Films. Uh huh. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, and it's Violet Hayes Productions. Uh-huh. Violet Hayes Productions was taken on Instagram, hence the difference. Do you want to buy it off them? Um, I Do you want to send someone around to their house? <laughs> that would be good, actually. I don't uh, know where they're Just to entertain them. Mm. So what can um, they find so far? So far, there is a, a short film, which is an unconventional rom-com about a LGBTQ couple. I think I've got all the letters there. Um, I think so, but then again, yeah. I'm not exactly woke. So, <laughs> um, uh, called Alison L, and that is uh, that's been up for a couple of weeks now. Uh, the next few things will be coming over the couple, well, following months. Exciting so, stuff. Short films, predominantly. Short moment. films initially. Mm-hmm. Some of them may be continuations of other ones. They might might be sort of series of short films. A sort of VHCU. Violet Hayes Ooh, Cinematic Universe. Very possibly. Very possibly true. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to tackle various genres and styles and topics rather than being pigeon-told as one specific mm. thing. So there should be something for everyone over, over the coming year. So Violet Hayes Productions or on Instagram, Instagram Violet Hayes, Hayes Films. Yeah, right. so check it out and support Paul. But it's great to have you with us again for any uh, wrap-up. Thank you. Great to be here again to tell you the correct answers for all of these categories. Uh, yeah, sure. He really understands the, uh, the ethos of this <laughs> podcast, which, is, which is, is just, fuck you, my film's the best. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing about this. Like, I love this NDO podcast. I love just talking about movies that we both loved and hated. Um, but also, I like the fact that there's this little edge of competitiveness mm. which shouldn't really be there because we had no hand in these yeah. films. Yeah. Apart from the fact that, you know... And the fact that the film itself is a subjective medium. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can like a bad film, I don't mind. 
Uh, but when it comes to the end of the year, I know I saw some crap. <laughs> I do mind. Um, should we start as ever? What did you make of 2018 as a year for film? Then? I think it was pretty damn good. I think we had a good mix of blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Mission Impossible Fallout was a highlight. I mm-hmm. saw that recently. It's really good. Um, there were some other blockbusters. <laughs> Maybe yeah. what blockbusters did I like? Uh, Black Panther is a blockbuster. I really enjoyed that early in the year. Um, some of the smaller films this year were some of the most rewarding you know there were some great surprises I'm sure we'll get on to some of them uh, a little I'm later sure for one of the categories so I won't mention too many of them now but I think a nice mix of sort of uh, bigger and smaller stuff and it's the same as every year basically it's a mix of think, small and big things I think things. something that I really enjoyed about this year specifically was that I thought that 2018 was the first year that it was very very visible the steps that Hollywood have taken to uh, broadcast voices from previously ignored minorities or mm. genders or whatever. Well, saying that, Hollywood films uh, are at their lowest point in 20 years for having female directors. Is that true? In 2018, 2018 uh-huh. had 8% of films released, I think, from uh-huh. uh, from Hollywood had eight uh, were, yeah, were directed by females. So not that many this year. Um, oh, okay. Down from I think at twelve percent the year before, hmm. so it's, it's still it's still a long way to go. There's me, yeah. There's you going. Yeah, I think, I, think like, I get what you mean. Like there's a, there's a lot of you know. Well, it's stuff like Black, like Black Panther. Well, what more. we've got, uh, what the three that I was going to mention in t- in, on that side of things is we had Black Panther towards the start of the year, mm-hmm. middle of the year Black Klansman, mm-hmm. and end of the year. Sorry to bother you, but then you've also which got, are three um, very different voices in Black Hollywood for for us because obviously. One thing to say at the start of this podcast as ever is these are films that came out in the calendar year in the UK. Yes. We had like Ladybird this year as well. Yeah, Greta Gerwig, yeah. Greta Gerwig, um, about a female, mm. basically female. It's a, it's a female story. Um, yeah. I think that this year is, there was definitely a point halfway through this year, it was around about, I'd just seen Solo and I just saw Deadpool 2 and I said to you, and it's on the podcast somewhere, has this year even been good for film? Mm. And I think this year has been a slog. Like, there's been some stuff that I, has blown me away, and there's some stuff, and I'll go on to talk about it, some stuff that I think is fantastic, but there's definitely periods of this year where I've just gone, oh. I think May was a real no, effort. That mid-year point was hard. Like, mm. And I've seen less stuff this year than I normally have seen. I normally see more than what yeah. I've done this year. But I don't know if that's a byproduct of me going, the start of the year was strong. Because yeah. that's what I think, I think the first two or three months of the year were full of stuff. Really strong. And then there's little sprinklings here and there of other stuff. But since then, that's all it's been. Like, one or two little films mm-hmm. here and there. There's not been a consistent kind of... And maybe I've missed them or stuff, but... See, I blame some of that on the Dinosaur Man HQ relocation. Yeah, well, yes, we, blamed, did... we blamed four weeks of that on mm-hmm. that, yeah. That did happen. We did relocate and I did end up going to... A different city for like six weeks. Yes, yeah, you're seven also, weeks. Yeah, yours had about two months away, including Greece and things like that. So, but. you know, there is that period of time, but I do think that there was definitely a period of time where I remember us having a conversation going, I don't think this has been as strong as previous years. Yeah, and I think I then saw the breadwinner maybe the week after that, and I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe it's not so bad. Um, so, what we will do is we will start. We've got our big five categories. So, um, we've got best moment of the year. Most disappointing, biggest surprise, worst film, and best film of the year. 
so these are all categories we've dealt with before. I think the the best, biggest surprise was one we introduced last year. Yeah, we decided to keep it in it's because it's nice just to talk about films that you might not have seen. Uh, we're we're including, I think, this year then uh, Netflix films. Uh, we can do films. It. if you if you wish to, then you can. Because I know there's a couple that are floating around on people that's, maybe best. Yeah, that, or, that's that's yeah. put a couple of contenders into well, there. You are. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say you can. I'm, I'm not against it. <sighs> Let's start with the disclaimer that we haven't seen everything that came out in 2018. There's a lot of stuff that I still want to see. Um, like I've I've not yet caught up with Roma, which I'm only hearing good things I about. Black uh, you miss Black Clansman. Um, Is there anybody you would have wanted? Mary Poppins Returns? I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I genuinely haven't I've, seen Mary Poppins. I haven't seen Mary Poppins yet. Really want to see it. Probably uh, next on my list. Actually, I missed Phantom Thread and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I missed Phantom still, Thread. Still didn't see that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, missed the Meg. I didn't. I, I wanted to see Jane Stephen punch a shark in the face and I missed it. Mm, well, so did I. <laughs> yeah. I saw the film and I didn't see it. Um, yeah, so there's definitely stuff we've missed. But this is basically on stuff we've seen. Yeah. So we start as ever with... Well, maybe not as ever. Uh, but we start this, this time with best moment of the year. Yes. Uh, so um, it's, a, it's a category designed to highlight... It can be anything from a split second, as my choice was last year, mm-hmm. to a full five-minute scene, as Ooh, your choice was the year before, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure mine was the scene at the party, nice guys, one year. Yeah, it's a good and seven and a half minutes, minutes, I think, yeah. Uh, right, so, uh, do you want me to start? Yes, I think I, I know I'm, mine I'm, is, I'm happy to start. With oh, so. okay, Paul can start. Um, my best moment of the year came through relatively late, not mm-hmm. relatively I said well, to be late, a couple of months before the end of the year. Um, October saw the release of A Venom. Star is Born. Oh. And A Star is Born is, is an exceptional film overall anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. However, there is one specific scene that is potentially some of the best writing combined with some of the best acting to, that I've seen in, well, the, probably this decade. Mm. Um, and that is the scene where uh, Sam Elliott is dropping Bradley Cooper's character off at Delete home. this off my list. Yeah. 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 I spoke to you about this yeah. today, didn't I? It's, yeah, if you want yeah. to explain in case people haven't seen So Once again, there will be spoilers for whatever we yes. talk about yeah. in this because we can't not spoil it yeah. without getting across the point. Yeah. So. A lot of the points we might be choosing as our favourite moment come at climactic yeah. moments. And this is certainly yeah. one of those. It's taught, it's, it's right well course, into yeah. the third act of yeah. the film. Um, and we've got a really heartfelt uh, sort of scene where these two these two brothers are talking um, and just sharing kind of see well not secrets as such but more like unsaid truths of their relationship mm-hmm. um, after reconciliation after yeah after finally reconciling after after the events of the film that have seen uh, Bradley Cooper's character sort of deteriorate in his health and addictions. Um, Really, really powerful moment, and it just uh, it f- it finishes off with um, probably the only time this the, the, in the cinema this year that I have cried in sync with the character on screen. The bit where he's driving, he's driving away. Yeah. Yeah, I'm tearing up already. That almost broke me. Yeah, up. there's literally a shot, and it really finishes off the scene perfectly. There's a shot where. As soon as Bradley Cooper's character stops talking, Sam Elliott turns around and looks behind him and starts reversing out, and it's because he can't. It's because he can't vocalise what he's yeah, saying. And that looks says so yeah. much about 
everything he says. Yeah, and there's just, yeah, and there's and the tears were streaming uh, in the cinema, uh, in the room right now, thinking about it. Yeah, um, and it's just such. It was one of those moments that because I can't I can't recall actually what I picked last year, but I know that one of the moments. The, oh no, I do recall last year's, but I know the year before, Alex's choice was a scene from our Daniel Blake, mm. um, which was due to its heart-wrenching nature mm. and reminding him that cinema could be that powerful. emotionally powerful. Yeah. And that was what this scene was for me this mm. year. It was this, is, this is exactly what this category is designed for. Yes. For moments that make you feel, even when you're not watching the film, you can think back to that moment and you feel the emotions you yeah. felt during that scene. <laughs> and he's trying to ruin it by choking himself to... I just drank a little bit and it went down into my lungs. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the, the, the fact that this scene has the power, that moment in that scene has the power to make me feel like, oh, I should cry now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm crying because I swallowed yeah. it actually wrong. Um, um, but no, it's, it's a, and I think it's it's the perfect moment to draw out of that entire film as yeah. well. It's that sort of thing where um, that entire story comes together in that moment. But yeah. I will say, um, I hope this isn't your choice. Mm. Are you choosing from Star Wars? No, no, no. That's great. The opening to that film is incredible. Yes, that, yes. That, 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 that opening, opening sequence at the festival is yeah. brilliant. And I think we we, so we spoke about it on the podcast, and we also spoke about it in relation to uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, where the the live performances there seem so Not real, clinical in in comparison to what we saw in A Star Is Born, where it feels oh, yeah, yeah. where it feels raw and it feels real and it feels like this is a musician playing their music. This is not just an actor pretending to be a musician. There's so well, much about A Star Is I Born think, like, that just really works. Yeah. Like the, the first time she goes on stage, with, like the shadow moment, mm. yeah, is really good. Like, but I do think that you've picked the right. Even her in the in the in the, uh, the, the nightclub. Yeah. Her performance in the nightclub, I think, mm. is beautiful and I think is really well and done. Especially and the looks between them against um, him being at the bar in that scene as yeah. well. That's it. that is a great. One. But this is the one thing I do think the, the scene you picked is yeah. is the scene it, that I remember. That I I remember I spoke to mm. you know, a couple of days ago. I was like, it's my one moment that's now, there for me. Yeah, yeah. it's my runner up. It's not to it's not to draw anything away from Lady Gaga's performance in that film because she is integral to what yeah. that film yeah. was, but. It's just that perfect, perfect moment where you get that sort of redemption mm. and most of all the acceptance of these characters coming to terms with the fact that they will never be to each other what they necessarily wanted out of each other, mm. but they know that they still they're still sharing that love. They've no done matter. their best now. Yeah, yeah, they shared that love no matter what happens after that moment. Um. And it was just, yeah, no, it's, I'm going to have to stop talking about it now. Cause it's going <laughs> to get very weepy mm. otherwise. So hopefully there may be a slightly more positive uh, moment coming. I don't know. Let's uh, find out. I'm torn at the moment. I've got two. I had three with yeah. that, but I do have two that I think are, are beautiful. Um but in very different ways. What I will do is I'll, I'll go for the one that makes less sense. Okay. So, <laughs> Hereditary is a film I didn't like. Yeah. Um, and uh, the problem with it was all I'd been hearing was positive praise and how, how revolutionary this film was. And actually, when I went to see it, I went, 
it starts off really promisingly and then it just descends into cliche and, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, expositionary dialogue. I, I don't want that from a horror film. I don't want that. What it does really well is its first act. And the closing moment of the first act is probably the most powerful moment of horror cinema last year, certainly. Um, And it is a scene in which there is a a car accident uh, that then kicks off the events of the, the, the rest of the film. And there is a huge amount of noise followed by instantaneous silence that seems to last forever because of this horrifying thing you've just seen. And the thing is, I don't actually want to say what it is, okay. just in case. I appreciate we're talking about, oh, you know, there will be spoilers, but... Fact, I did this Wind River last year. Right? Yeah. There's a moment in Wind River that you can't know just about before you see it. On, so let's remember <laughs> to do that. Um, I'll watch it again with you. Yes, so... Um, I also need to know what that moment is, but anyway. So there is a there is a there is a moment that happens, and it's it's the event of the film, hmm. and it's the thing that you'll come away talking about. I think if you see the film, because it is such a startling scene. The powerful stuff comes from the fact that you've got that immediately smashed into this horrible silence. And if, you know, you're sitting there maybe for 30 seconds in this silence, but it feels like a lifetime. In a film that I didn't like, I think it's the best moment of cinema this year. And that's a real shame, because if the rest of the film had lived up to the expectations that that moment set for me, I would have loved this film. The fact of the matter is, I didn't like the film, but I can still isolate and think that is properly good cinema. Really, really good cinema. I'm not going to see another moment like that in another horror film this year. And I didn't, all through the year. Mm-hmm. And I liked a lot of what we saw this year. There's some really good stuff out there. A Quiet Place was really, really great. It, one of my potentials was the opening of A Quiet Place on the bridge. Yeah. And it's so silent, and all of a sudden you hear that mm-hmm. toy going off. Yeah. And for me, A Quiet Place is the best horror film we had last year. Mm-hmm. But nothing in it, as a moment, as an individual moment, stood out as much as that moment did. But I liked it a hell of a lot more than I liked Hereditary. And that's my biggest issue with Hereditary, is that it showed that it can be this good. And it showed that it can be this effective. And it just didn't live up to that promise afterwards, which is a real shame. If you do see it, you will know the moment I'm talking about. And to be honest, I'd say that it's possibly worth seeing for the moment. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you could switch off after you've seen it, but, you know, the rest of the plot revolves around what happened in that moment, I guess. So, uh, but yeah, I would really recommend, if you see the film, then fine, you know, make up your own mind. It may well be your favourite horror film. It was a lot of people's favourite horror film of last year. Some people's favourite film of last year. Yeah. But with with regards to what I think of it, I think the rest of it can do one, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but that moment is just Brilliant horror cinema. What was your other moment that of interest? Uh, it was in uh, Won't You Be My Neighbour. Okay. That's um, basically, a documentary about Mr. Rogers' neighbourhood. Um, and he... It's the moment where you realise they basically talk about what 
what drove him to do what he did. And he created a show that was just a way of educating kids about things that happen in life. Yeah. That wasn't just a cartoon with violence and sort of things like that in it. But it talked about death. It talked about loss. It talked about grief. It talked about sadness and bullying and all this. And there is a moment where they talk about why he did what he did. And it's just because he loved, you know, he loved humanity and he wanted everyone to have the best view possible of humanity. And it wasn't through a sense of... Uh, honestly, I, I, so I watched it on a plane and I cried quite, yeah, quite he, a lot. He did. And then I, 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 I came off the film yeah. afterwards and then Paul said, oh, how was that? And I said, yeah, really good. There was this really good bit in it and then I started, started crying when I explained it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, um, if yeah. we are mentioning runners-up, I will just mention one that, just purely from an entertainment value, and this is just from... Mm-hmm. And I, I know that it's not going to be your best moment of the year, but I know that you'll appreciate it, Andy. Um, and it's the moment in Mission Impossible Fallout mm. when they're in the bathroom and reloading arms. Henry Cavill takes off his jacket, <laughs> reloading arms, <laughs> reloads his arms, and reloads his arms, and then starts beating the fuck out. It's, of a, it's a shame, but Mission Impossible Fallout has the best trailer of that year. Um, like I think Godzilla King of Monsters yeah. is the second, but the best trailer is that first trailer for Mission Impossible because. I, you know me. I With love the reloading noises. I, I love when music syncs up with action. Yeah. And the point in that trailer where he reloads his arms and goes, and then he punches yeah. the guys and goes, but it's all in time with that music. So good. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to cheat on this because my favourite moment is actually a moment that is encapsulated in multiple films this year. Mm. But it's one thing that that I noticed in a couple of things, and it's things that I didn't expect coming into the year. So my moment, best moment of the show was blockbuster films that have these incredible single shots in them. Yeah. Like incredible moments of cinematography. And I noticed it in, in films that you don't expect to see it in. So I've got a few examples here. One of my favourite shots of the year was in Black Panther, the point where Killmonger takes over the throne. And as he walks in, the music's playing and the camera just completely twists as though it's completely twisting everything Wakanda stood for. Mm. Um, at that time and that shot means so much there's the um, in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom there's the Brachiosaur shot mm-hmm. where he stood on the side where he stood on the side as the boat goes away and you just see the destruction of the island kind of encompass this creature and you see it basically die yeah um, in Solo of all films the bit where the ship breaks through the Kessel Road oh yeah um, the Empire ship kind of bursts through and it kind of it's a beautiful shot it's um, probably a Star Wars shot Game Sorry. Night had one where game, the, the aesthetic of Game Night alone, where it kind of, um, when it goes above the house and it looks down, it looks like a game board. Yeah. Oh, okay. it's a, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It's a really nice shot yeah. to see. Um, the trench in Aquaman I've spoken about on the podcast yes. is one of the most beautiful shots I've seen in a super When they're going down. Hmm. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a poster shot. It's, it's incredible. A shot that you could take and put on. Yeah. And it's these huge blockbuster films mm. that you don't expect to see them in. Like These, these are just kind of Fodder films, really. Like a lot of these films, on there, like the films aren't good, but they have these one, these moments in them. But I don't expect. I just want more of that going forward. See, I think one of the biggest advantages and why this has come about, especially this year, is that what you've had a, a lot of this year is filmmakers who have been very critically acclaimed for for their smaller, smaller films. So Jurassic World's a perfect example, mm-hmm. right? Um, I can't remember his name. J. A. Bayona. Yeah, and he yeah. did. Uh, he the last thing he did was a Monster Calls, right? 
Monster Calls was fame well, well was praised for its beautiful beautiful cinematography. <laughs> and Monster Calls I think, tore me apart. I think he I think he is obviously a director that understands how to use especially natural elements yeah. within a shot because there's that pro- uh, that dinosaur shot, but then I can think of several in the third act mm. of that film. I, was, I mean, I was going to bring set it up against later. the backdrop of the lightning and rain. Which I might, I might still bring up later. Um, but, suppose, yeah. but then with, again, with, even with, with James Wan with Aquaman. Now I'm not saying James Wan is the the master of modern horror or anything crazy like that. Good. Um, but uh, Nicola Kidman opinions, beside, you know, aside, um, he has certainly come to. He's come from a genre where it's very important to sh- to show exactly what you want to see yeah. on a screen. And I think he's, I think he's certainly someone who's got an eye for visual yeah. storytelling, and I think, with, especially with the um, the creature design mm. of the the trench monsters that are then following them down to the trench, that shot is one of those moments where it is it's just incredible. The fact that it goes the sound cuts. I suppose if you say that's a cheat, and I can't have mm. like that as, you a, want as, that a, one. as an idea. I'd say it's the Aquaman one. Mm. If that one, it's tied with the Mars Morales jumping off the building in Spider Verse mm. um, shot. Where he jumps and the whole the whole city's upside down mm. because it gives an imp- it gives you an actual impression of flight and your body kind of going through those motions despite being animated. But I think the one that I would choose is that Aquaman shot, which I didn't think Aquaman would be a film that I would go, yes, that has an incredibly. I don't think it will win this year, but it has that moment in there. The heart of the nation, genuinely beautiful. Like yeah. the way the sound stops, the way the light is used to kind of reflect what happens the way mm. the creatures kind of their, their movement under the water it is one of those things where because the camera's so pulled back from it yeah. and you see the scale of what you're seeing and I saw it um, on a fairly big screen rightly, it's just beautiful like it's mm. just a genuinely beautiful image and it is that kind of thing where I go take a photo put that on my wall like mm. that's the kind of it's you know how you get certain films yeah. like, like I think Spider-Verse is one of those films where you would take most of the pictures from most images from that film, and it would be a poster. Mm. Aquaman has like one moment of that, and that's this. Mm. Um, so yeah, say if I was picking one, it'd be mm. the Aquaman. Cool, okay, interesting. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to mention now, or uh, no, was it basically talked, the other ones? I just that talked through more. Then? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, because the only other one I was going to talk about is the Open in the Quiet Place. So now we have to battle. Yes. Yeah, so what about this bit? Um, I'm going to be honest. I think I know which, which one wins out of the three of them. Because I don't know the hereditary, but I think Paul's wins, basically because... Yeah, it, it, it's, it's not a battle. <laughs> the only reason is because I spoke about it literally... It's, it's because it was on it, my it was list. on all three people's mm. lists, basically. Mm. It is probably... In, in a film that is really exceptional and I think has a lot of really great moments, in order to be the best moment from that film, you've got to do something really special... There is a huge weight of uh, of knowledge behind that moment yeah. of you know what's happened with these characters. You don't know everything, but you know enough to sort of paint a picture. You know what it means to them. And you sort of know that he knows what's coming for those characters. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And I mean, I can't think of another moment this year that I have loved in the same way that I've loved that. There's this one where Aquaman jumps in the water and he's holding this flare and a trench kind of below yeah. around him. Um, uh, no, yeah, so and I know it's, it's a Star Is Born all, yeah. all, all day for me. I can't, I can't disagree with that. I think it's it's a beautiful film and it's a beautiful moment within that film. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, that was a simple yeah, fight. Well done, Paul. So you really have to. The best part about that argument was I didn't actually have to say anything. No, it's just, as soon as the, you're walking uh, into a situation there where I kind of know the answer anyway. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to get an Aquaman one past, yeah. past that exam. Like, so yeah. I might as well. neither of us have seen Hereditary. <laughs> no. Um, shall we talk most disappointing? Yeah. So we'll, let's yeah. let's go negative now. Um, so we yeah we all, we'd like to start off with a positive one to sort of make sure that the podcast yeah. gets off on the right foot. Uh, most disappointing. Who wants to go first on this one? I can. I can go first. Like, Kick us off. I have got one in here that would anger both of you, but I'm not going to do it. To be honest. I'll, yeah, I know what it is. I'll talk. I'll talk about it at a later date because I imagine mm. it's going to come up at some point. Um, yeah, I know what that one so, is. So let me talk. So when we do our start of the year, we talk about uh, what films we're looking forward to most in that year. Um, and in 2018, I had. I can remember two of the films that I was looking for. Oh no, one was Avengers, wasn't it? One was Avengers. Avengers. The other was First Man and the other was Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. Now Avengers, I looked, the other two were not good. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is really shame. But the one that disappointed me the most was Ready Player One. Because it's the film that I was looking forward to the most. Um, Because because I really really enjoyed that book. That book gets a lot of flack. But actually, I think, as far as the story goes, I really got into it. And I, I remember getting through that book in like a couple of days. I just... Speed read it. I really enjoyed everything that was in it. Um, the character motives all made sense. And as soon as I put it on the big screen, none of it made sense. So any character decision didn't make sense mm-hmm. to me. Um, the, the, the reason these characters met in the first place, like in the book, they don't meet until the end. And I don't want to be that guy who's like, this in is... In the book, that's just how it This happens. is not the book. Yeah. But the reason it, I get annoyed at it is because the stuff in the book makes so much more sense than it does in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, the way he gets, like, an extra life and things like that. And I mean, there's certain things that can't work. So, in the book, there's a whole scene where um, the second task is he has to recreate the entire of the film War Games. Mm-hmm. And he has to do line by line, action by action. He has to play Matthew Broderick in War Games. And he gets anything wrong, he loses. And I realised, you can't do that on the screen. Mm-hmm. So, when they go into The Shining, that's my favourite bit of that film. Because I'm like, okay, you're... You're that's what you've done instead. The idea, and you're mm. reinventing this. That's fine. The problem is, everything else is literally just a. Oh, you know what this is, yeah? Hey, do you this is this? from the thing. This is from Overwatch. You yeah. played Overwatch, yeah? What about Battletoads? Hey, guys, freeze this. You can see this, and I'm like, I understand that the book has a lot of references in it, but you're completely losing everything else about this film. You're losing a lot about. It. So in the book, there's a whole bit where Wade Watts basically becomes isolated and loses everything because. He becomes too engrossed in what he's doing and forgets to know about reality. Yeah. It means when they make the decision at the end of the film that actually people should come out of this game at least once a day. It means more. Uh, yeah, it means something. It means that he's he's been to that point where he's lost everything, so he knows what it's like to allow people to have their freedom. Yeah, don't get that in the film. No. And the, it really upset me because I was like, th- that first trailer looked great. Yeah. The one with um, Tom Sawyer playing over yeah. the top. I was like, okay, that looks great. But as soon as I got in there, and I was like, oh, this is Steve, um, Steven Spielberg. It's Ready Player One, but I really like. That trailer looks great. Hit me with it. And from like the first five minutes, I was like, no, this ain't it. Mm. This ain't the one. Like This is absolutely lost any kind of heart for that, that book. Yeah, that's, that story. Um, and it's such a shame. And I completely get now when people turn around and go, that's not my one of those yeah. and I don't like being like that because the thing is at the end of the day like, so the Harry Potter books I read all of them as a kid mm-hmm. and when I watched the films I was like okay like the fourth one I don't like the fourth one because it's not like the book mm. but at the same time I enjoy it as a different medium mm-hmm. like, they, I still enjoy that yeah and it's a bit it's, apples and oranges in terms of mm. 
you you know that you can't do everything by the book or you know as it is in the book so you have to make allowances for the fact that they're going to have to take certain liberties but if they're stripping away the soul of the book and that's exactly what it felt like they were doing mm. and it's such a shame because I love Spielberg I mean it didn't feel like the first four pages that I read either so uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yes the Ready Player One is mine okay uh, do you want to go next, Paul? Or? I can do. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Um, interestingly, my backup option was your backup option. First man. First man was definitely. Why did you do it yourself? And I was very ready to say that up until you guys both mentioned a film earlier that I forgot came out this year and then remembered how excited I had been before it came out. That was downsizing <laughs> right at the start of the year. Um, Genuinely, what? I think maybe second week of January 2018? Yeah, it was very early on. Very, very early on. Now, there had been trailers since early 2017, and the trailer that I kept seeing intrigued me. There was enough in the trailer without giving too much away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of Matt Damon when he's got good stuff to work from. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Kristen Wiig. Yeah, think she is phenomenal, especially after I saw her in Mother as well. Uh, I was really looking forward to seeing her her in something a bit more substantial. Yeah, um, and obviously, who can't who can't not like Christoph Waltz? You know, everyone likes Christoph Waltz, right? Apart from people that watch Spectre. <laughs> um, anyway, you know the tra- the trailer had some interest like interesting stuff in it, and I, and it didn't really give anything away in terms of the story. And I thought it would be, and apart from the fact that. Kristen Wiig's character and Matt Damon's character were a couple. Kristen Wiig stayed big and Matt Damon stayed uh, went small. Yes. And I thought that would make for the crux of the film and be effectively about the breakdown of their relationship or 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 potential repairing of it after mm-hmm. this event. How wrong I was to then find out that that is literally the first ten minutes. And then the film goes into not knowing what it is mm. at all and do, trying to tell five different stories without actually telling any of them. Um, Christoph Waltz is, is, I mean, he's awful in it, which is something that I didn't... Let's not watch. pretend he's not been awful before. Well, so we'll remember the Green Hornet. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And we all um, saw Spectre. <laughs> now... What, some, and we some, also play the same character twice in the Tarantino. Yeah, <laughs> so, something that I've, I've um, uh, saw recently which is actually a Christoph Waltz quote about good actors. Now he does not believe that there is such a thing as good actors or bad actors. He just thinks that there are roles that are right for some actors and roles that are wrong for them. This was wrong for him in that case. <laughs> but no, it's genuinely nonsensical. It is not cohesive as a film. It it tries to do five different things, fails to pull off any of them. Mm. Um, and I think it's again because because it had that, and it, it probably comes down to the trailer, much like Ready Player One did yeah. for you. Um, because that first trailer pulled me in, and because of that talent, those names attached to it, you think this the concept. Can't, as yeah, well. yeah, and the concept really interested me. I was like, "Well, okay, I'm in. I'm in. You know, I'm in to see Matt Damon turn tiny, but his wife stay big." But the fact that that is wasted with you know, Kristen Wiig has about as much screen time in the film as she does in the trailer. Mm. And that is a th- a something that I think is a big yeah, like I was disappointed um, that I didn't get to see it when it came out. Um, mm. Before I knew yeah. sort of what you know about it. Mm. But 
I was it was something that I was kind of interested in, and I like I like Alexander Payne. I think he's a really good director. Um, Nebraska was one of my best films of uh, 2013. I think it just seems like this film has just ran into a wall where it's gone. Okay, so what's your idea? Well, it's this, but it's also this, and also yeah. I don't want to tell you about this. I want to tell you more about this. Yeah. Effect- what if we don't want to see that? Effectively, oh no, we've done it. It ends up trying to peddle the idea of the big message being that the Earth is not sustainable. Mm. Um. However, it kind of backdoors that in in the last fifteen minutes. You know, you've got the stuff at the very start where the the whole miniature cities are invented yeah. to save space. But then in the last 15 minutes, you've got them going, oh, the world's going to end if we don't go into this and go into the secret bunker where we'll survive and be able to repopulate the Earth with small people. And it's like, sorry, what? And then all while, That's the film I was hoping for. All while you've got this going on, you've got this sort of side plot about this romance between Matt Damon and this um, sort of refugee character. Mm-hmm. But it's really done as very much the, the refugee character is not interested in him at all. And then suddenly he does one thing and then it's just, oh, yeah, they're in love now. He, he explained that he survived on Mars and got himself back home. This is it. And, and maybe maybe I'm spoiled because the last big thing I saw Damon in... Was The Martian. Was The Martian. Um, so good. But it's just not good. It's just not good at all. Maybe he just had a bad agent for a year. Mm. Suburbicon wasn't good. Yeah, but you, don't, you didn't need an agent to get a role in a George Clooney film. Uh, yeah, true, yeah. His agent is George Clooney in that case. <laughs> Alex. Uh, yeah, my most disappointing. Um, I, I toyed with the idea of putting Hereditary as my most disappointing because after all of the hype <laughs> that it was receiving and everyone going, oh, it's great, it's the, it's the best horror film in ages, it's this year's Exorcist or whatever. I, I was kind of like, oh. going to say, after seeing that first part, and then I was like, oh, this feels really good. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, and the thing like, is, oh, no, it's got it, me during the film. Yeah, that's the thing. It disappointed me during the film. That's a remarkable feat <laughs> for me to be like, oh, I'm really on board with this film, and then go, what? It's like I'm not on board at all. Um, and um, and I did toy with the idea of having that in there. But I think that might be unfair on it because I did still enjoy that one moment. Yeah. So maybe that's it. Is one moment enough? Probably not. No. Um, not according to downsizing. So maybe maybe it is my most disappointing. But what I will choose is a film that I don't think I was even that excited about and I thought was probably going to be rubbish. But my, my assumptions were confirmed when I saw it. Deadpool 2 is dreadful. It's on my list. And... Um, it, it comes as a surprise because I, I liked the first Deadpool a lot more than I thought I would going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a role that is perfect for Ryan Reynolds. They don't come along very often, but when they do, by God, he better grab a hold of those because they're going to be his bread and butter for the next 10 years. Um, it is, you know, it, it, it worked well. I think the, the, the hit rate of the jokes in the first one was probably around 50%. But as we discussed... The rate at which they come means that that doesn't really affect you because the you're always good. you're always going to find something within about five minutes that's going to make you laugh. Yeah. In terms of a comedy, it works pretty well. In terms of an action film, it works pretty well. It was well put together. I think the action sequences were done pretty well, and I think that the um, the the stakes being so small in terms of it being a revenge plot almost great. Mm-hmm. Stick to that kind of story. That's a great story. What we get in Deadpool 2 is a rehashing of Deadpool 1 in terms of, oh, here are the jokes you loved from the first one. 
Remember how he had a baby arm? Now he's got a baby leg or whatever it is. Two baby legs. Yes. Yes, because he had a baby arm in the or baby hand in the first one. Mm-hmm. Now he's got baby legs. Right. Okay. So just changing the body part, but it's still the same joke. Fine. And it just feels like there's so many moments in that film where I'm like, I've seen this. Where have I seen this before? Oh, right. Your film. The first one. That last film. It's exactly yeah. the same as this. Repetition is not comedy. The the problem with this I don't know, film, there are a couple of times in that film they feel repetition is comedy. Yes, yeah, well, the whole film feels like it's just repeating itself. And no one, I don't think anyone really looks like they're having a good time. There were a couple of good uh, performances. There, there was one person who looks like he's having a good time, that's, that's Rob Delaney. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Rob Delaney looks like he's having a good time, and he is the best character in it. But... Other than that, I mean, you know, Josh Brolin is suitably gruff enough in, in the I role of Cable. I think, I think he yeah. plays a good and Cable. And I think, um, is it Zazie Beats? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Domino. He's yeah. really good in that film. But given very little to do. Hmm. I think but the trailer over-egged exactly what she was going to be doing. Her scene where you see how her power works, and you, it's like an extended scene of like, two minutes on purely on her, where you see how her power works, is really good. Yeah. And I think there were moments in Deadpool now, 2 where you go, that's really good. Basically, but the issue... I agree with you that... A lot I can't of think of moments. See, I can think of maybe... I mean, one moment which I thought was really good was the plane drop scene and what yes. happens to Rob Delaney afterwards. Yeah. That is that is it. No, I mean, I, th- I think that there are certain... I hated this film. I hated this obviously, film. It could have been worse. Obviously, um... They had the issues with the director, which was Ryan Reynolds didn't like the first director anymore, um, and brought in David Leach of John Wick fame to to come yeah. in. And as a result, I do think that the action sequences in this film are generally very tight. Like the prison breakout scene, yeah. is good. Yeah, yeah it's and good I, I, especially as you say, the one where you see Domino's power working, and also the one toward the end with Domino uh, at the. School slash hospital thing. I can't even remember. <laughs> she goes inside while Cable and Deadpool fight yeah, the people yeah. outside. Yeah, that those two action sequences there also very good. Mm. None of the jo- I don't think I laughed at a single joke in it. I think I laughed at a couple, but I don't think they were anywhere near as they didn't hit anywhere near as good as the. Oh, and I, and I agree with you. That, don't get me wrong, I agree with you. I do think it's mm. disappointing because. Mm. It wasn't anywhere as near as good as the first, or anyway, even close, and it wasn't as good as what I expected it to be. So I expected mm. it to be some drop off, but I didn't expect it to be as big as it was. And we were in a fairly full audience as well, if you remember right. Yeah, the packed audience, um, yeah. And the first one we watched in a full audience, and it was, like, I think, the Consistent last half to keep us going. Yeah. And the second one, I, the thing is, I've always said I'm going to go back and watch that film because, again, because. I'm not sure if I'm missing anything because there's a lot of people I've spoken to have turned around to me and said, oh no, this film was great. And I don't know whether I've just missed something that I've been I think, watching. I think they're just normies, though. <laughs> uh, my experience. So I will go back and watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree that it is disappointing. I just sat there going, I can't believe I liked the first one as much as I did. <laughs> and it actually made me question whether the first one I liked. It's the Kingsman 2 argument. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's a big issue for me. And for me, it just felt like, oh, well, how could you take something that worked as well as it did in the first one and go... Oh, well, we haven't got any fresh ideas. It's like, just have a fresh idea and bring that to the table, and maybe that'll be good. So, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. 
one of the big problems I had with it as well is the fact that it has ruined one of my favourite characters from a couple of years before in Julian Dennison's performance in um, Hunt for the World of People. He just copied because the character is the same. Yeah, they just went even down to you know Ricky Baker put him in this film. Even down to the fact that there is one specific joke about Tupac that is almost word for word Mm. the joke he tells in or a line that he says in Hunt for the World of People and I just don't understand how anyone thought this was a good idea and they said improv a line here I got one (laughs) (laughs) no one's going to have heard this before Uh, yeah so that's my most okay so Mm. Deadpool 2 Downsizing and Ready Player 1 now I'm going to be honest the fight that no one wanted to have I'm going to be straight away willing to concede to Ready Player 1 so purely because the trailer, the I do think the first trailer and was very good and made it look the thing very, is, very interesting. Yours made you question whether Deadpool is any good. Mine made me question whether Steven Spielberg has ever done a good film. Oh, God! <laughs> the so post like, was brilliant, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, okay, here's, here's where I stand is, my film was shit. Like, I think, <laughs> I think Deadpool 2 was absolutely terrible. I also think that Ready Player One was worse <laughs> because it did make me question whether Spielberg was ever good. I was there like, no, I was like, ET is shit, maybe. Saving uh, Private bullshit. Hook is crap. No, I've thought never, that before. I've never thought that. And um, I, I don't know. Look, I love the trailer. I love the first trailer. The the, the Tom Sawyer trailer. Is just brilliant, mm. and it made me. This it made me thing, think that there's going to be music in that film. Yeah, and it made me think that maybe this book that I hated the first four pages of and gave up <laughs> might actually be a brilliant. In fact, I, I saw the trailer before I read the book. Yes, and I saw the trailer and went, "Wow, that's great! That will make me read the book." So I read the book for four pages, and I gave up because I hated the book. And then I saw the trailer again. I was like, no, but I love the film, I think. It's going to be great. I saw the film and I went, that's two and a half hours. And it is just a lot of shit going on. Do I, did we you see there it with on, us, a yeah. Preview, yes. on a preview yes. screen? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was... A packed audience. Yeah. And some people loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people, me, you, you, <laughs> hated it. Yeah. And I was just, I remember sitting there going... How is it that that trailer got me as excited as it did, and I basically felt no emotion during this? Film? I think one. I think its biggest issue is that it's very much style over substance in the fact that there is zero substance and a little tiny bit of style. Um, but even some of now, I could forgive a film if the point of it was to be CGI fest. So, like Avatar, for example, mm-hmm. Avatar had fantastic CGI. And whilst I don't think there's much to the rest of the film, the CGI itself was so brilliant that you can kind of take a step back and go, wow, at least that that's the case. Yeah. But one of the issues I had with Ready Player One is that not all of the CGI was good. Some of, like, some of it some, was amazing. Some of it is fantastic. Yeah. So I watched this again only last week. I mm. watched it again. Basically, once again, trying to kind of... Because when it comes towards the end of the year, mm. I try and certify in my mind, certain films, whether I feel the way I did feel about yeah. it. And they kind of cemented this one for me, mm. me going, this is just not near it. And some of the CGI in it is 
Fantastic. Yeah. But the issue I find is that it's not even consistent. No, with, some of it is. Because so, some of it is really, really bad CGI. Mm-hmm. And this is where... So even if, if, you, if you're going to make a film that is not got very anything to the plot, not got anything to the characters, got a god-awful script, um, at least make it look nice. And this, this is why it's disappointing for me, because I know how good that film could have been. Mm. Like, all you had to do was tweak it like, in a few places... And you could have had something really good there, but it's just not being done. However, I suppose, what can we expect from a film filmed in Digbeth, right? Oh, yeah, it was in mm, Birmingham, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think they captured the essence of Birmingham very well. Look, my issue here is I really didn't like Deadpool 2. <laughs> and I should have laughed in a film that is supposed to be a comedy. <laughs> That's my issue. Yeah, we should have. If it should, have, should have had an adventure, and a film was supposed to be an adventure. True, I was very bored by that film. <sighs> like the I, thing is, I just think there is more to more to enjoy in Deadpool two than there was in. I think that Game is. I think that that is incorrect. I think there is exactly the same amount to enjoy <laughs> in both films, and that is Not nothing. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest, you've already lost this one, yeah, because I have one. already agreed with All right, fine, fine. I, I reluctantly agree that because of that first trailer, <laughs> I should have loved that film, and I didn't. All right, fine. Ready Player One is the most disappointing film of 2018. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, right. Biggest surprise. As a palate cleanser before the big two. Oh, goodness me, I just hiccuped. I've got a few of these. I've got a few of these. Um... Okay, let's uh, let's kick into them then, because this one wasn't a out and out winner. This was no, just, just we a... pro- we proffer a few different things. Uh, so start us off. Um, one that I really like, I think everyone should watch is Love Simon. Yeah, number I one on my list. list. On my yeah. list. I think Love Simon is a beautiful film. Yeah, um, we caught it really by accident on yeah. because Proceed Grand Limited. Yeah, it was a screening we had no idea what mm. we were going into. Had no idea what we were going to watch. I hadn't seen the trailer or anything for it. Um, and to be honest, when the title card came up, I still was like, I still don't know what film I'm seeing. Exactly. And watched it, and it's a story of basically a guy in high school who is gay, none of his friends know, yeah. and then he finds out there's another gay kid at school mm. who's in the same position, and they start talking. Anonymously start, online. Yeah, and start forming this, this bond, this kind of relationship. Mm. Um, and it's really funny. It's, yes. It's really beautiful. It's mm. charming. It's... Um, Sad in places. It's it's got one of my funniest moments of the year in it um, mm. because it's so cringeworthy. It's amazing, um, which is the bit on the high school field, like yeah. And the ending really suited it. I think the um, parents, which mm. are who plays parents, is it Jennifer, Jennifer Garner and Timothy Oliphant, yeah, yeah are right. fantastic. Yeah, there's really there's two individual scenes with each effectively. Yeah, it is. It is. I think so. Um, or is it... Oh, Josh DeMarle. Yes, that's who I think it is. I, right. I don't think it's yeah. Oliphant. No, you're What's right. What's the Oliphant been in this year? Um, oh, we'll find out. But uh, the two scenes with where effectively almost the coming out scenes with yes. like, with each parent, not the one where it's with both of them there, but <laughs> when he's talking to them openly yes, with each the one of with them his dad is amazing. I think both of them individually are... In- Josh DeMarle could have been separated at birth with Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. I'm just going to say <laughs> that now. <laughs> But yeah, um, I think Little Simon was... It was such a surprise to me this year because I knew nothing about the film and came out just mm. gushing about it. Just like, this is such a beautiful film. Mm. Yeah. And it's so nice to see a um, 
high school coming of age film that isn't about your standard sexual identity sort of yeah. Yes. It's nice to see that kind of used in a in an interesting way. And to be honest, fantastic acting all round. Yes, the support cast is brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And generally I think all the kids is, are really yeah. good. I think the dynamics work really well. I was really surprised by this film. I I, I did really, really like it, yeah. I mean, it's it's when you see a character, an actor who is most known for their role in The Flash, turn to a yes. good performance in a in a uh, Hollywood film that you realise. And the kid from Jurassic yeah, World, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, no, it's genuinely, genuinely, really sweet story. I'm so I'm 100 percent with you there. Yeah. It was one of the ones on my list for for. No, absolutely, it's the, big, it's the biggest one for me. But I was just like, okay, mm. cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll follow up to that. Um, uh, so one of mine. Is something that has already been mentioned today, and that is Game Night. I loved Game Night. Game Night. I didn't think I would, but no. I did. And this is why it's one of my biggest surprises because everything, from, even the trailer, did not look great. No, to be honest, and to be honest, it looked looked pretty poor from the trailer. Um, you know, it's a uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. Yeah, Rachel McAdams comedy uh, with a sort of supporting cast full of. Your standard comedy actors, I guess, and Jesse yeah. Plemons, and giving yeah. a performance of a life. Jesse Plemons is by far, and he is, to be honest, he is the thing that makes this film. Yes, um, but it is genuinely such a fun mm. film. Every, I think every, everyone looks like they're enjoying themselves as well. Uh, you know, you even got Carl Chandler in it in the, you know, in something where. You know, considering the last few things that I've sort of seen him in have been very much more serious roles. You know, First mm. Man, you've got... I mean, I watched Argo recently. Yeah. Um, I think the thing about Game Night is it has a premise that really works for it. I mm. think towards the end it loses its way a little bit mm. when it continuously does the same thing. Mm. But I think up until a point it works so well. Yeah. Um, I think Bateman McAdams are perfect. Like the bullet removal scene is so funny. Yeah, like so good. Um, and Jesse Plemons basically steals every scene he's in. Yeah. Um, I also really like um, what's his name? The guy who keeps talking about Fight Clubs. Oh, I know who you mean. The mm. the, the single guy, the Magnuson. Yeah. Yes, Magnuson, I've seen him in a few yeah. things now. Because he's a I'm, maniac, isn't he? And yes, I really and like him. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was. It, it was really strong. I remember I caught it because we were we were going to go view a house at that time mm. uh, when we were moving, and I remember basically like, oh, I've got two hours to kill because something's just fallen through. What am I going to do? And I was like, oh, game night's starting now. I'll just go and watch it, mm. and didn't regret it at all. Yeah, no, really, really, really fun film. I think, um, especially there's a particular line fairly early on in the film, which is it's a conversation. J- Jason Bateman's character is taking a bag of snacks into the house, and Jesse Plemons, his next door neighbour. <laughs> Sees him, and there is uh, what four, four bags of three bags of Tostitos yeah. in, the, in his bag, and he goes, "You're having a game night." He goes, "Oh no, just you know, been to the grocery store, yeah. picked up some stuff." You've got three bags of Tostitos. Yeah. Why would you need that many? And he goes, "Oh, it was three for one." <laughs> And, and then like, he goes, uh, how, how, how's the supermarket even making any yeah, money on yeah. that? The Frito-Lay company are not making any profit margin there. Like, that's a really funny scene. And I laughed, I probably laughed six times during that conversation. Yeah. And I think, I don't think it hit as much as it did for you, uh, with me. Like, yeah. I, I kind of went, uh, I see why this was getting reviewed well, and I see why people liked it. But 
I think I, my my big issues came with like that end third is just a slog to get through. But up until that point, I'd been enjoying it pretty consistently, and I've been laughing more than I did in most comedies this year. <laughs> and in terms of that, you know, I can't I can't disagree that I think it justifies itself, and it does a pretty good job of telling uh, doing a comedy that you haven't really seen that kind of setup before mm. in terms of the the game night setup. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, Jesse Clemens is great. And, you know, that particularly those opening scenes with him, like the next one where Kyle Chandler turns up and then they look around, no one's in the doorway, and then they look around again and he's just, just standing, standing there. there. Yeah, um, yeah no, I think it's great. Uh, I especially think it's benefited from the fact that that came out not too long after um, the, the previous season of Black Mirror that had Jesse Clemens have a substantial role in the first mm. episode. And it meant that I got, but a very different role as well. And it was very nice to see that sort of change. And he's he's very good, Jesse Powers, yeah. anyway. Um, so yeah, that, that's the that's probably. I think I would have chosen Love Simon as mine if you hadn't have already said it. Uh, one of my biggest surprises was A Quiet Place. Not in terms of it was good in the first place, but it was as good as it was. I yeah. think the people attached to it, I was always fairly confident that oh, this should be good. The only issue was it was a Platinum Dunes film and we all know what they do with horror films. They make <laughs> shit ones. Um, but I think in terms of uh, sort of, you know, putting together a film with a concept that could easily fall apart, they've managed to... I think John Krasinski's done a really good job of creating a world where you go, okay, I understand the rules. Yes. And I understand what you're up against, sort of, but not fully, but I quite like that I don't really know all that much about them. I like the setup of the family dynamic. I think they work really well together. I like how they, you know, finding inventive ways around noise is really good. Mm. The fact that, you know they were tempted to not have any noise in the film. I think it was a mistake if they would have done that. I think the ambient sounds needed to be there. Mm. But I think it's it's remarkable in that we went to... Did we see it together? No, I saw it on my own. I, did we see it together? Yeah. And we saw it in the quietest audience I have ever yeah. been in. Yes. I think any film that has the, um, uh, that has the respect of the audience to that point... It's, it's the bit in the audience where, um, did you have this where somebody sat there, they brought a bag of sweets because obviously they're going to sit there. Yeah, you hear and rustling. They're, they're there and they start to open the sweets and as they start, they realize how loud it is and so they stop and they just well, don't eat. Yeah. Them. So See, they walk out and have a full bag of sweets and you're like, that film's yeah. had that effect on you. Yeah. In, interestingly, I, when I went for a second viewing of it and took a friend and that friend decided to get popcorn. I advised them heavily against it mm. several times. Uh, but they decided... God, this film is the enemy of popcorn. Yeah, decided, they decided to get popcorn in the end. They ate it all throughout the adverts and trailers, and then basically it got to about 30 seconds into the film, and they stopped eating their popcorn. <laughs> and no, for the rest of the film, they just event, about halfway through, they, I just saw them put, put it on the floor. <laughs> There's no point. Um, and then they walked out and just ate it in the car home. Yeah. And that is, I think that is incredible, because especially because it was that sort of draw for... A mainstream audience because mm. it was quite an accessible yeah. horror film. It meant that for for that for that then to get, be shown and people to actually respect it's, it and be quiet. Is, I've, I've not seen Unhome Release yet, but I do think it was one of those you had to see in the cinema. Yes, to experience the effect I, it has I agree. on other people. Mm. Like it's not just what it makes you feel. It's like you notice that like, you notice the person two rows behind who's breathing heavy. Mm. You notice like. 
your presence in this thing. Yeah. And at times you're holding your breath because you don't want to make the sound that will set off what happens on screen. I, Despite that making no sense, you know that. Mm. You have this whole sensory thing where you're like, I don't want you're to... You're holding your breath with the characters. I think it's especially powerful when you consider that a lot of horror films, um, people have their natural reaction to laugh <laughs> when they are scared. You know, you get a lot of it in um, the sort of, I don't know, like, I mean, we noticed it in the re-screen, re-screening of Halloween. Yeah, but that was mainly me laughing at how bad that film was. Mm. Um, but you even got it in by when we watched uh, The Shining at the cinema a couple of years yeah. ago. You had people laughing at, at scary moments to sort of break the tension. Yeah. And you didn't get any of... I, well, I did not witness any of that with The Quiet, with the quiet Place. Mm. And people were just genuinely tense throughout. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was my biggest surprise in terms of it being the level of quality that it was and having the effect that it had. Can I mention two more really quickly? Yeah. I want to mention another um, one as well. Basically, The Hate You Give. Yeah, it was also another, great. Yeah. It was another secret screening that we ended up going to that literally didn't seem like it would be anything. Um, and I thought I was going to hate it within the first like 20 minutes. I didn't think it was going to be my film at all. But it really turns like the emotions on like after like 20 minutes. Mm. Like really, really does some really great stuff in that film. Um, and one that I was really happy to see and the other one that I didn't think would be anything and I was surprised I enjoyed it as much as I did was Bumblebee yeah um, Bumblebee I think is actually I was saying is I, was I like, couldn't choose that because I was always confident it was going to be great I am also in the same yeah you were, you were always in this but the thing is yeah. my thing with Bumblebee was always a case of it's another Transformers film I don't expect it to be anything because I keep getting my hopes up about these Transformers films and they I've keep... never ever had that problem of getting my hopes up about um, Transformers films before this <laughs> And Bumblebee was there just like, I hope it's good. And the mm. trailer was making me think it might be. Yeah. But it surprised me just how much I enjoyed yeah. it. It's a five out of and, five film, as I said. And it's, it's possibly got the single best line ever uttered in a comedic capacity. Yes. Although, um, John Cena has had a good, a decent year. Like, Blockers is decent. Like, mm. I will give Blockers a due and say, I thought that film was going to be a hot pile of garbage. But actually, it was actually enjoyable enough. Mm. Like, it, it's not great, but there's a... There's, consistent last throughout that film but you know a line where John Cena gets to say they're literally called Decepticons yes. why would we trust them well, yeah I mean <laughs> that's just great in itself well, the only other thing that I wanted to mention was something fairly early on this year that I thought would be um, just sort of a film for the sake of doing it uh, but it's Red Sparrow the I Jennifer Lawrence it. spy film mm. very very interesting especially when it's came out you know around about seven, eight months after um, you saw Charlie's Theron in... Um, oh, yes. Um, Atomic Blonde. Atomic Blonde, yeah. So it's this very similar time era, well, era that they're looking at, a uh, very similar concept in terms mm. of um, the whole looking at a Cold War uh, spy rivalry sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic uh, performance from Jennifer Lawrence, which I think everyone can expect most of the time, unless it's an X-Men film now. Um, oh, it's all passengers well yeah okay let's exclude that one as well um, but you know generally speaking it was Jennifer Lawrence showing that she can do well Yeah. Um, great supporting cast you've got uh, Joel Edgerton in a big role and you know I never stop talking about how much I like Joel Edgerton I think he's just very watchable um, but overall the film is just a lot better than I thought it would be mm-hmm. Uh because to be honest, I had no hopes for it at the start, but then it was it turned out to be quite an interesting film, um, and I think it's worth just mentioning along with that um, 
another film that came out around the same time that I really enjoyed uh, that I didn't have any real expectations for uh, Gringo which I didn't watch I did, I did the trailer did nothing for did me did it not no, no. Did, was it actually good I enjoyed it it was a bit of a um, it, was, it wasn't great it wasn't you know it wasn't mm. one of the better films of the year which is why I'm bringing it up now rather than yeah rather than in best film of the year discussion. Um, but it's certainly something that I had no expectations for, and then I had a lot of fun during it. It was just a fun romp. Um, the, I think... Uh, oh, I've forgotten who the main actor... Yeah, David Aloello is very... He's having a great time yes. in it. And I, heard, Sean, I heard him interviewed, and he sounded like he just enjoyed the entire thing. Yeah, genuinely. I mean, there's certain things that he wrote into it that that he said, you know, we're only, I'm only going to be in this film. So, for example, the, he was meant to have an American accent in the mm-hmm. film, and he uh, originally, and he said, no, I'm only going to do it if I get to play it with an African accent. So he gets to sort of have a little bit more fun with it and do what he wants to do and do yeah. this kind of um, fish out of water thing, but in a more fun way than we've seen in recent years. Okay. Um, but again, it's, it's just a, it's just every, one of those ones where, especially with Charlotte Copley in it, it's one of those <laughs> films where Charlotte Copley's having fun. And, He's always having fun. Well, mm, I think he is. is. You've seen the Old Boy remake. He's always having fun. I didn't have fun in the Old Boy yeah, remake. Yeah, you might not have fun, but he's having fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, if there's one, just to wrap this bit up then, if there's one out of all of those that's been mentioned that you'd say... I think Simon. it's Love, Simon. Would you say Love, Simon? It appeared Simon. on all three of our lists. Yeah. And I think it's it was just such a nice surprise. For a film that I'd seen a trailer for about four months before and gone, oh, okay, I probably won't see that, but fine. To sit down and go, oh, this is what we're watching, fine. Yeah. And then to be as pleasantly surprised as I was by the way they're telling the story. I think, I think one of the important things is that... It feels like a John Hughes film. There was also very lo- little negativity. Not your dad, but, you know. <laughs> there was also very le- little negativity in it, in the sense that, of, of course, you have that... Yes, yeah, so overall, of, a very positive You've got feel. that minor struggle of him not wanting to come out because mm. of how people will see him, and you've got a little bit of that, but generally speaking... It has an overarching positive yes. message of going. His friends are wanting to ex- be supportive of him. You know, his his family is supportive of him, and it's okay for him to come so out. So watch Love Simon. Then yeah. that's our recommendation. Shall we get to best film? Oh, best is that? I was going to. We were going to do worse than best. Worse end than on best? end on a high. Okay. Are you not ready for that? We can oh, do no, it no, the other way around. We can do it that way. Oh, okay. Right. Um, Worst film. Well, to start. Well, you're just staring at me at your... I'll start. Go for it, man. That's fine. So, I thought long and hard about this one, and there's a lot of bad films this year, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't like a lot. And the problem is, is that it's easy to choose, say, The Nun. Yes. As my worst film. Is that what you've chosen, The Nun? <laughs> <laughs> because it is rubbish... Mm. And it never elevates itself above rubbish. But I knew it was going to be rubbish. Okay. So it can't be my worst film of the year, I don't think. I think you're getting worse and most disappointing mixed up. No, I think I, <laughs> I think it was as rubbish as it should have been. And that's probably it. Ready Player One was a shit film. <laughs> And for that reason, I am choosing it as my worst film of the year. Well, there's one off my list. So, Ready Player One. 
everything you said about it earlier is completely correct. In a in a in a film where you have a story that is about a revolution against a sort of much bigger power, you know, an overthrow of an empire type thing, you know, yeah, of, of the underdog trying to beat the corporation, and in a story of rebellion, in a story of video games, which obviously anyone who listens to the podcast knows that I love. <laughs> surely, surely you should make it at least interesting. Uh-huh. How is it possible for you to make this film as boring as it is and not make any sense as a film anyway? I get what they tried to do with those characters. I get that they tried to get Wade together with the woman as early as they could because who's going to watch a film where they don't meet till the end? I would happily watch that film because it doesn't follow the exact same beats that you see in every other film. But done really badly, where you go, I think this shouldn't be happening in this film. I also don't want to see 15,000 pop culture references. I admit I probably shouldn't have gone to see Ready Player One, should I? But at any one point in that film, there's probably 70 things on screen. I don't want to see that. Like, you had such a good, uh, you had a good opportunity to go, look at this dystopian world that we can create anything we want in. The stacks are all right, I guess. That's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Ben Mendelssohn's pretty Ben Mendelssohn in it. Ben Mendelssohn <laughs> is basically putting in the Ben Mendelssohn yeah. performance. And ben the thing is, always does. I like Ben Mendelssohn in some things, and I don't like him in other things, because I think he leans too heavily into Ben Mendelssohn. This was one of those examples where it's just like... I saw Ben Mendelssohn in both this and Robin Hood this year, and he played the same character in both. Uh, I also saw him in um, Thingy right at the start of the year. Um, Darkest Hour. Yes. yes! And he is very good in Darkest Hour. Mm. He's still he evil. He's still yeah. playing a sneering evil I'm man. I was going to say, I don't think Darkest Hour is as good as people gave him. Oh, no, no it's no, not. It's, so. I, think him, I think Gary Oldman's exceptional. I think ben I'm Mendelsohn. not even sure that's the case. Really? I'm going to be honest. I don't even think Gary um, Oldman's that great. Anyway, Sorry, this isn't about Darkest anyway. Hour. Carry on. Uh, it's most disappointing, yeah. Darkest Hour, guys. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> my issue with it is. Why am I bored for two and a half hours? Why am I not in this world where you can do anything? Why not doing anything that interests me? The thing is, you could have spent two and a half hours watching Aquaman instead. I did do, and it was also bad. So I've spent five hours doing things that I hate this year. You've spent more than that. Uh, So yeah, my my worst film nomination is Ready Player One. I'm happy to hear Paul your nomination or Andy your nomination. Can you go next in case you take one of mine? Well, that's not going to happen because you know what mine is. I still can't narrow mine. So, the thing about this year is from about April, I've had one film earmarked for this category, which uh, has been often every time I thought about bad films, and I've always mentioned it, is Mum and Dad, which was the return to form for Nicolas (laughs) Cage. Yes. And it's surprising. He did air quotes, by the way, in case you didn't. It's surprising when you get to literally four days before the end of the year and one film comes out and literally goes, fuck this, I'm taking that for myself. (laughs) Now, I heard bad things about Holmes and Watson before I went. And it took me four times to actually go to see this film. To to put up the twice. And I was about to leave the house twice and went, nah, can't do it. Um, and then I heard things about it. I was like, okay, I've got to go see it. Somebody's got to go see it for the podcast. I will go. It is 
awful. Mm-hmm. So bad. Now, so- we haven't seen it. Neither of us have seen it. So... And you've already given me a preview of what you think of this film, and we've reviewed it on Sunday's episode as well. <laughs> um, so, tell tell me why it's bad. So, a comedy film with zero comedy is always going to be a problem. It's not technically a comedy film. Exactly, it's just a film. <laughs> yeah. And you could say it's competently filmed, and you'd go, okay, that's enough to get you by. But if the film is a comedy film, but it doesn't have any comedy in also isn't competently filmed, you then start hitting problems. <laughs> I don't think I'm winning this category. Then you start asking the question of, oh, is the writing around that any good? And when you start going, oh no, the writing doesn't seem to make sense, there's one of the things that you've brought up in this film is forgotten about literally two minutes later, yeah. you start going, hold on, that means it isn't even written well. Performances so, must so be the good. Comedy isn't good Performances and, must be good, right? <laughs> the filmmaking isn't good, and the writing isn't good, and then you get the performances that don't seem to make sense because characteristics of those performances are also forgotten two minutes later in the film. You start going, hold on, but what is left? And that's a good question to ask. Is, because is there the is score much, very good? I don't even think it had music. I genuinely don't even think there was a score. So I'm watching it, I'm just like, I don't understand what you're getting at. So I, the point I explained to you, mm-hmm. um, which I'm explaining this one, um, because it's a bit of a spoiler, really, um, is Holmes, for example, it's claimed partway through the film that he can't see cadavers, because if he sees a dead body, he starts throwing up uncontrollably. And there's a whole physical comedy bit of him Great vomiting six or seven times into a bucket while Watson's just like, oh, Holmes, are you sure you're going to be fine to see this dead body? And you go... Okay, I get it. He can't see dead bodies. A, this scene's gone on too long. And B, how come we've already seen him in the presence of dead bodies three times in this film and he doesn't even get... At one point, he strokes one. And then when he thinks he kills the Queen at one point, he's absolutely fine. So obviously, it isn't a problem with him being dead bodies. That's literally just a thing you've gone, oh, quick, throw it in. It might we, need be a, we need a puke joke here. Like, there's um, a character who thinks she's a cat. But five minutes later... She doesn't think she's a cat and nobody even talks about it. Like, what? Th- 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 I've film- already seen that and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And it makes no sense. Like, that, it's done so much better than always sunny in Philadelphia. Like, the whole film doesn't make sense. Like, there's, there's scenes so, there's a whole, um, ghost ripoff of, um, the Unchained Melody scene in Ghost of the Potter. Where they make yeah. the pot And they do that, but they do it in this autopsy scene of this guy covered in cake and, you just go, this reference is so tired now, but when you're doing the scene, it looks like you're about to lead to some kind of more grotesque and kind of gross-out humour that might actually push the boundaries a little bit. But you've decided to play it so safe, you then just cut it. Mm. Um, and everything just seems so much kind of like, we're just going to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And nothing sticks. All you've got is a shitty wall. Mm. Right. And, and this film is a film that apparently has been trimmed down from uh, so in the States was trimmed down from an R to a PG-13 mm-hmm. and over here has been trimmed down from a 15 to a to a 12A and does does the editing match that? No does, well, Was the editing know, bad? The editing's bad so you can tell that it's been trimmed Yeah like, You can tell that literally like this, Nothing makes sense. The film sense. doesn't know what it is. Yeah. It doesn't know what kind of comedy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing I wish they had trimmed was the runtime from an hour and a half to like two minutes. <laughs> like, and the two minutes that I missed at the start of the film would have been perfect. So I got yeah. into this film literally like two minutes after it started. I didn't miss anything. I know I didn't miss anything. And genuinely went, I wish I hadn't looked up. Like, yeah. so many walkouts in a film that didn't have many people in there in the really? first place. Like, unbelievable. Mm. So yeah, you might have wasted two and a half hours, but I was sitting from Ready Player One three more times before watching Holmes and Watson again. Paul, 
Okay, well, I'm actually I'm gonna go go through a couple of honourable mentions. But you're just gonna say I'm gonna go to see Holmes and Watson. <laughs> no, I'm just gonna mention a couple of things that, that that almost took my top spot that I really think are worth mentioning before I actually settle on what. Okay. Because I need you to know how low the bar is already. So, first thing to mention is uh, Clint Eastwood, fifteen seventeen to Paris. <laughs> it's bad. It is woeful. Now, the biggest issue with this film is that it chooses to use three real people mm. to play themselves, who obviously are not comfortable on camera. Yeah. Which makes every single scene awkward. Strange, because imagine you have two actors who you've seen in multiple films who you think would be able to play actual <laughs> roles, but strangely, also looking comfortable on camera. That is John C. Riley. Another one that became very, very close was the um, absolute shit show that was Solo, a Solo, Solo. I hated Solo so bad. And it's really a poor film. I don't understand anyone who says it's a good, Thank a, you. A good film at all, because... It's not even constructed well. It's on my list. It's there is. I think it's it, the reason it's not my top one is because it's it has some. It yeah. has some nice shots in it. Yeah, and I quite like uh, Paul Bettany's character. No, I don't, you, they don't get that past. It's just that there are some nice shots in Fair it. Enough. Um, it was also almost Venom. Venom and is bad because there is a lot of bad shit in Venom. Venom is saved from the fact that I quite like. The relationship between Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock and the Venom symbiote. Mm, doesn't that. get that pass for me. Um, then the the one that almost very this is the closest to clinching it, but it, without getting it was Mile Twenty Two. Mark Wahlberg starring. I've heard some people strangely enjoy that film. Some of the some of the actions all right. Okay. <laughs> uh, John Malkovich is terrible um, and has um, sort of shit on my memory of J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson by stealing his hair <laughs> but performing much much worse than him um, Mark Wahlberg is genuinely woeful um, but the one that really takes the biscuit and I've got to I've, I, it was quite early on the year now I can't even say that there is some sort of enjoyment I got from watching this film. Okay. And that's because it was it's a very hate-watchable film. That is Den of Thieves. <laughs> starring Gerard Butler, Pablo Schreiber, and O'Shea Jackson Jr. As well as, I think, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. Um, oh my God, this film is terrible. It is possibly the worst heist film I've ever seen. And in the in the way that one the heist doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Two, the I think the good guy in the film is still meant to be Gerard Butler in a way. However, he is the worst person mm-hmm. ever. He is literally the, the biggest dick. He is just like you watch this film and you go, if he was written with any intention other than let's make the most hateable character in the in the world then I don't know how because there's this one scene where they try and give him some sort of redemption where where he's he or some sort of positive character arc mm. where he isn't allowed to see his daughter and he goes up to her and talks to her through the school gates and then he goes and cries in his car with one of the worst that's emotion, that's emotional depth right there 
Oh my god! From Jared Butler, but then, but then the next scene, he goes, <laughs> he goes and fucks someone's wife, and so it's like, you know, it's emotional death. Um, it genuinely has no, no sense in the editing of it. It the plot is very, very thin, and that I mean, it's. It's just very, very bad. It is so, so bad. And it's topped off by the fact that in the final scene, O'Shea Jackson Jr. has possibly the worst English accent I've ever heard in anything. Holmes and Watson. Um, yeah, I'm oh, <laughs> bad English accents. Yeah. Um, but to top it, to top it all off, I mean, it goes to show when in that final, that final scene really sums it up actually, because someone, He's behind a bar. Someone orders a round of drinks for him and his mates, and he gives he passes one pint glass over, and it really shows the lack of attention to detail across the entire film, where he asks for an entire round Look, of drinks for five or six people, and then he gets one drink. I've not seen this film, but I was told that apparently there's a gunfight in it where there's very realistic um, usage of guns and round usage. So like reloads and things like that it's yeah. all very very the, akin to what it would be like if you had weaponry so it's not like a oh I've got yeah you know what else did that free fire free fire was good <laughs> I'm just saying is, yeah you say no attention to detail no I don't but, I, yeah I, no I don't okay fair enough if, what if they all had shot glasses and they were all pouring from the pint glass yeah they were all kind of like dipping like, having, having a shot of yeah, shot yeah what, if they were, what if they were what if they had a little well system yeah. where they had a little bucket on a rope <laughs> Very true. And it goes into the pint glass and then they bring it back up in and that case, from the bucket. In that case, show don't tell, so at least put it on screen. <laughs> true. Um, because I'd love to see people drinking yeah. for a little while. Uh, but this film is don't show, don't tell, just make people assume something. You know, it's genuinely really bad and there's no good acting in it, it at all. The They try to make a big deal out of, um, a, tr- a big emotional deal out of 50 Cent's death. Which is just, it just becomes hilarious. What? Well, it's hit me hard just there. Um, but you know, it's, it's just awful. Wait, his death is hilarious or them trying to make you feel emotionally attached to 50 Cent is hilarious? Yes, that one. That one, okay, fine. The death isn't hilarious. The, the way. Yeah, he like slipped on a banana skin and no, then slipped on another banana skin and then slipped on another banana skin. No, it's, and then it's the way attack. that you've got this sort of extended shot with really sad music playing behind it and you've got him, yes. dr- like, sort of his eyes drifting That's off towards death. But then you realise that you've had about two minutes of character development for that character across the entire film. Mm, two gorgeous <laughs> minutes that you didn't get with any of the other characters. <laughs> oh, no, you got it. You just, it just didn't feel like it. Um, Real, the the best performance in it is Pablo Schreiber simply because he says very little mm. and he just kind of stands there looking moody a lot but it's genuine it's just so so woeful um, and it makes no no sense at all it's very I, I could have picked so many other things but I think this I think this film just offends me to the core it doesn't sound um, great yeah and to top it off I got Someone bought it to it for me for Secret Santa just because of how much they knew I hated it. I know, what he meant. They're like, oh, he really likes Gerald Butler. No. He always talks about him. Did Gerald Butler appear on the worst list last year? Did you nominate Geostorm? 
If Geostorm was bad, I don't know if I nominated No, him, probably not. But it was bad. That is a very bad Well, there we are. Yearly mention. I mean, I'm, get, I'm getting him out on the worst films this year because I know that Angel Has Fallen is going to be best in Andy's top ones next year. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, okay. <laughs> From worst to first. So, so, I've not seen either of your films. No. And I've seen... You've only seen mine. Two. Um, I'm going to be honest though I'm still inclined to agree with Andy like, the thing is guys what you both have going for you is coherence but the sounds means there's a coherent storyline in yours it isn't just a sketch show where two Americans get to put on funny English accents prance around and do things that are modern but in the olden days but like, why did hey, Simon Pegg flip him a fucking coin or whatever it was <laughs> like oh let's do a selfie okay let's do a selfie but look we're using this old time ca- let's do sexting but oh we're using a telegraph instead like, the whole thing doesn't make sense. How did they get Rob Brydon? Um, they got... Uh, Ra- Ra- Ray Fiennes. Ray right. Fiennes is in this. Um, Hugh Laurie. Uh, bloody, what's her name? Pam Ferris. Pam Ferris, yeah. Rebecca, Rebecca Hall. Hall. I love Kevin Rebecca Hall. Gold. I think she's great. And somehow, they got her into this. And I'm there going, did none of you read the script? Was there a script? I don't even know if there was a script for this before it was put in. Or these went like, there's a two minute, three minute scene where literally they just scream for Mrs. Hudson. Mm. For like three minutes, just scream. But do, do, do they get progressively less sounding like words? Yes. Stuff like that. It's yeah. the, it's the Wolf It's the Wolf yeah. Like, yeah. And it, there's a the whole song in there, and the song makes no sense. And I'm literally genuinely, at that point, slinking down in my seat. And just kind of like, I don't want people to know I'm in this screening anymore. Like, if somebody I know sees what I've watched, even though I know they're watching it as well, I'll feel embarrassed. Yeah, you'll live with that. Like, how do I live with that guilt? Like, the thing is, Ready Player One, it disappointed me, but there were some bits that looked nice. Was E.T. ever good in the first place? It's made me think. Remember this. The thing is, right, I think for me, because I gave... Is it the real Steven Spielberg? Because he just made the post, and that's way better than this piece of shit, is what I was thinking the entire time. Because I gave most disappointing to Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can it be worse and most disappointing? Yeah. I, it can be. Technically, yes, it's been nominated. Yes, but... absolutely it's been nominated. Correctly, it's been nominated. I'm also very, very willing to believe that Holmes and Watson will be worse. Look, Holmes and Watson sounds dreadful, but... Yeah, I wanted to put a pin in this podcast. We'll go cinema right now. <laughs> I'll make you sit through it. Don't worry, we'll be back in an hour and a half. Brief. Ah. Oh. Thankfully, it's Does a brief. Does it feel brief? Ready Player One doesn't feel like two and a half hours. It feels like ten. <laughs> Look, okay, fine. Here's where I'm at. Would you say you Dead have... of Thieves sounds bad, but it sounds like every other film like that that's ever it's, been released in like, any um, other year. What's the one that was like two years ago with Anthony Mackie in it? Triple Nine. Yeah. Triple it's Nine sound, was pretty bad. It sounds like that. Triple Nine was disappointing as well because it got good people in it. Mm. Like, the, this has got Gerard Butler like, in it. Are you expecting like, anything? Like one one of those films. Films. This is not the most disappointing mm. category, Alex. Mm. This is. There's like one of those worst. films every, every year there's one of those kind of films. Like, in fact, this year we also got Widows as well which is very much a similar kind of thing. Except for much, much better. Mm. It's alright. Um, uh, have you seen Den of Thieves? <laughs> then you cannot say that Widows is not much, much better. <laughs> True. Widows I'll is you, far I'll take your word yeah. for it. Um, but yeah, I think you get one of those every every year. Um, I think you get I one think, of these every year as well, though. Yeah. You don't get anything this bad. 
Like, it, it's incomprehensible. Um, put it this way. This is a film that the studio had so little faith in, they tried to ship to Netflix, and Netflix said no. Netflix, and Netflix said, said yes no. to this Cloverfield paradox, didn't they? Netflix saw this and went, mm. the ratings are so bad from its previews, we will not take this on board. Yours right. made money and is getting a sequel. This ain't getting no sequel. That's the worst thing about my worst film. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Alright, look. I don't want to see Holmes and Watson. For that reason alone, for the reason that I don't want you to take me to the cinema right now and sit me through it, I will agree with you that yours is probably the worst. I do still think that maybe Steven Spielberg has never made a good film in his life, but... Holmes and Watson sounds dreadful, so I will begrudgingly give Holmes and Watson... The worst film of 2018. One day, watch it and tell me how... I don't want to now. ...you were of it. Like, thank you. It is there is a terrible film. Shall we move on to best, though, and finish on a high? Yes, let's do it. Um, you, this is your point to pick out Ready Player One, Paul. Okay, so I'm going to start out with a film from Steven Spielberg. <laughs> um, the Post. <laughs> is my best film of 2018. Okay. Uh, it's not something that was... Oh, and... is this genuine? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, the, I thought The Post was phenomenal. Um, the Post is really good. It's really, yeah, really but, good. I genuinely thought this was a joke of you going, oh, no, no it's I'm... just slated on Steven Spielberg for a bit. <laughs> he, he no, it's just... One little joke. I remember it's his twin brother, Stephen Goodberg. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think this one wasn't even particularly... Up until about a week ago, it was nowhere near my top of the year list in terms of... It's not the film I thought you'd pick. What I thought... Yeah, it's not the film I thought I'd pick either, Andy. Um, <laughs> but it's still... Uh, but the more I think back to what I've watched this year, the more I realise that um, I don't think there was any film quite like... That I enjoyed quite like The Post in terms of how it all comes together. I think it's a great ensemble film. Um, it's really... Really benefit well, much like Spotlight, Spotlight a couple of years before. I think it's really nice to get this real story that I definitely wasn't around, or at least old enough to, you know, I mean, for this one, I definitely wasn't around uh, in order to know about it the first time round. So it was all completely brand new to me, yeah. yet enlightening on an actual real world subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tom Hanks is incredible in it. Meryl Streep is phenomenal in it. Um, and but the most important thing is that the supporting the sporting actors are all amazing. What was really nice to see was both Bob Odenkirk and David Cross in this film having fantastic uh, turns that really complemented the yeah. the stuff that Tom Hanks was doing. Um, and it was really, it was really just very, very good overall. The more, basically, the the reason it came down to picking this one was because every other film I had on my top five list, there was something I could think of that I did not like about it. Mm-hmm. This does not have that for me. It is the film that that there isn't anything that I would have changed about it. I think it's done exceptionally well, uh, and to be honest, is is. 
staggering staggering accomplishment to realise that the post is what Steve Spielberg did in the post-production of Ready Player One. Yeah. So the fact that this was his sort of... Could have been the worst film of the year. Imagine how yeah. good this would look in comparison. <laughs> this So the fact that this was his sort of... What he did his in his downtime during editing is crazy to think that it turned out so much better than the other one. Um, but no, again, you know, obviously... I think we're all Tom Hanks fans. Gotta love the Hanks. Um, and I think everyone in the world is a Meryl Streep fan enough, in some way. Oh, that's, this doesn't look good over there. No. <laughs> um, Meryl Streep, I think she's yeah. good. Um, but no, it's the script is especially is what sets it apart, I think. I think the script is really tight, and um, there's some really good exchanges between different characters. And because of the topics it covers in the film, with the um, this sort of... US government cover up. Very timely. Yeah, it's very timely whilst also being um, being something that is enlightening on a subject that not many people my age would know specifically yeah. about. Uh, and I think that's its biggest benefit is that it brings that up in a way that is really, really entertaining. And um, I was engrossed the whole way through. It's one of the films that the very, one of the few films this year that I've not noticed the length because yes. it's just I've just watched it and really enjoyed it the whole way through. It got to the credits and I was like, oh, oh, it's over. Um, you know, I could spend another five minutes dissecting every single component of it, but there's no point because it is just truly, truly good. Yeah, well, what we'll do is we will go through my analysis and then we'll do some honourable mentions, and then we'll discuss which one is best. So do you want to go next, Alex? Speaking of length of films, mm-hmm. there is a perfect length of film, scientifically proven by me. It's an hour and a half, and it's Holmes and Watson. It's 89 <laughs> minutes long, and it is, of course, You Were Never Really Here. <laughs> you Were Never Really Here is the best film of this year. Why, I hear you ask. It's 89 minutes long, first of all, so perfect length. And everything about it is great. It works as a hitman thriller film, as a exploration of the human psyche, as the exploration of what death and, and loss does to people, and of course, about what hammers do to people's heads. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is on absolutely top form here. It's his best performance to date in this role as Joe the Hitman. He fully embodies this character, I think, in a way that, you know, we talk about, you know, whenever Christian Bale transforms his body for a role, you always say, oh, you know, isn't it great that his commitment to the... Joaquin Phoenix transformed his body for this role as well. You know, he put on some weight... And he looks, you know, he's got some muscle to him, but he's got some fat to him. And he sort of looks like a man who was once in great shape and is now in that transitional period, but is still getting the jobs to do as this hitman. Um, Lynn Ramsey, I think, has created here a film. So she she wrote the screenplay based on the Jonathan Ames novel um, and then directed it as well. And I think she is... She is a leading voice in in terms of cinema. I think she creates films that talk about very important subjects and that explore the dark crevices and recesses of the mind and 
of our society that not a lot of people always want to engage with. This is a key example of a film that does that and does it brilliantly. It's brutal, but it's beautiful. If you're talking about beautiful shots, there is a sequence with a lake that is just top notch. Um, I, it's better than the trench. I think that, I think that this is an example of filmmaking being powerful when it's quiet, but also being powerful when it's loud. Mm And blending the two. I, for me, this has been it since March. And I know you want to watch it, but you haven't wanted to watch it that badly that you've actually put it in the DVD player. You kind of basically forced me to watch these things. Yes, I know. And we will afterwards, but maybe it's better that you haven't so that we can have this discussion now. But I would urge anyone who hasn't seen it to see it. It got a very limited release, but it was worth every, every Mm -hmm. second of it. Uh, Andy, what's your choice? Okay, so I've got a few that I could have had, but I'll go into that shortly afterwards. Yep. Um, I completely agree with you that there is a perfect length for filmmaking, oh, according God. to me. It's 89 minutes, yes. And oh, it's God. 2 hours and 27 minutes. No. And it's, it's so 2 hours and 27 minutes of some of the most high-octane filmmaking you will see this year. Yeah. It's Mission Impossible, Impossible Fallout. Fallout. I genuinely haven't felt that exhilarated by a film in such a long time since probably, it is the film I thought you would choose it's the thing is it's since like Mad Max yeah Mad Max I came out and like my blood was pumping I was like this is great surely right yeah. yeah since then I've not had that experience in the mm. film I've come out and I've gone I've really enjoyed that Mission Impossible Fallout I came out of and I was like yes please mm. like yeah. just inject that into my veins mm. like that's what I want for a film like the action set pieces are incredibly well done like, Chris McQuarrie gets this franchise so well. Like, I thought Rogue Nation was brilliant. And he did such a good job there. And I was never really on board with Mission Impossible because I was always a Bond kid. Mm. Like, Bond was always my thing. Um, and Mission Impossible was just like, oh yeah, that's just the Americans trying to do what, what the British can do easily. And then when Spectre came out and Rogue Nation came out in the same year, and Rogue Nation was so much better, when it came to this, like, and I saw that trailer with the reloading arms yeah. and all that, I was like, okay... This looks like it could be good. Mm. And when I watched it, I was like, no, this is fantastic. Like, this is genuinely... And I remember coming coming home and being like, this is incredible. Like, I've not enjoyed a film like this in such a long, long time. Mm. From not only understanding what kind of character... Um, is it Ethan? Ethan Hunt? Ethan. I was going to say Ethan Hawke, and I was like, it's not Ethan Hawke. Uh, Ethan Hunt, understanding what his character is, and realising that he's actually really the side project to this entire thing, the, the, the actual film is about that team, mm-hmm. and about how that team works together. Henry Cavill plays a great foil to yeah. that. That entire chase scene in um, France, Paris, which yeah. is about 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. and it doesn't stop for 20 minutes. Like, you can't catch your breath. Like, every time you think it's over, it kicks off again, mm-hmm. but it never loses its pace. It never yeah. loses its adrenaline. Every single moment of that, you're just like, okay, yes, this is great. And I don't think the film really has any time where it kind of just breathes and goes, okay, we're going to let you go now for a bit. You're going to, you know, things are going to lag. That film never lagged me. It always just beat, 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 beat until mm-hmm. eventually you get to the end and like, it ends and you kind of just dispel it and you're like, whew, okay. I think, I think the, big, the biggest advantage it has is absolutely, for a film that length, it is perfectly paced. Mm. And that is rare in those it's films. It's incredible And I think even, like even last year when you look at the other big, long, time-wise, uh, blockbuster being Infinity War, mm. I think there are certainly certainly 
uh, sections of Infinity War that feel like they are lagging. Yeah, there are. And the and, thing is, that's one of the reasons like, Infinity War is in my top yeah. book five or six films. But actually, Fallout does not have that. It is just it is just great all the way like, through. There's just so many set pieces in that film. Like, how fast can Tom Cruise run? Yeah, like it is insane mm. that that man can run so fast. Because I'm pretty sure that they didn't speed that up or anything. That's just him running. Yeah. And it's incredible. Uh, they replaced his legs with legs from Scooby Doo, where they do their running. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, like the, the the stuff that he goes through for these films is mm. incredible, and that's obviously one of the big draws. But what you actually have to do is go. Not only is Tom Cruise basically trying to kill himself every time he does one of these Mission Impossible films, but at the same time, you have to mm. make that film interesting, make the plot interesting, make it so it actually seems like there's something for him to do. And I think that's what they did. Something I find really interesting as well is obviously they had the whole. Tom Cruise breaking his ankle thing, mm-hmm. uh, and yet they retained the release date that they had of in July this year. The final version of the film was only completed approximately two weeks before the US release. Yeah, well, Chris McQuarrie talked about this on um, the Empire podcast. Like, mm. basically, if you've got like six hours to spare, mm. he did some really in-depth interviews about this film. Um, and they're really insightful and the fact that basically they filmed a whole lot of stuff that just didn't even make it into this film because they were literally writing it on set and they were like so for example at one point uh, they get to a point where they've got to film a scene and he turns around and he's like guys we've literally got five minutes to get this scene done because after five minutes the camera's shut off and we have to pay for another day's work so you've got five minutes to it and he got it and it's the scene where Simon Pegg is basically being hung um, yeah. and she cuts him down that scene was yeah. all done in five minutes because they went this is what I need you to do now, 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 now. Do it, and we'll see what it looks like. Yeah. And basically, some of the camera crew, I think, eventually said, "Oh, we'll give you an extra half hour." Yeah. Um, but in that five minutes, they were like, "This is all we've got. This is what we've got to do." And he was there, like, having to write it on the fly. And when you look at what it ended up as, you're like, "That's yeah. an incredible achievement." Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's probably one of the best action films I've seen. It's such a long time, but I'm just like, it, it pumps me up, and I'm like, I don't know whether you can do another Mission Impossible now. I think, and I also think that. Henry Cavill is is perfect as the. Mm. He's so well done. Like, he's so well played. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mine's Mission Impossible Fallout, and like I said, I think you knew that that's mm-hmm. where it was going to end up. And like I said, there were definitely films. Ever since you reviewed it, I was there like, this is his film of the year. Yeah, and the thing is, I've got so I've got a few here that I'll literally just mention these. Some of them we've already spoken about. So, um, Quiet Place was in my top. Um, Infinity War, um, Star is Born, also Into the Spider Verse was. Right up there, like, yeah. I think it's a beautiful film. Um, Shape of Water from the start yeah. of this year, I think is an absolute. And if we talk about cinematography, it's an absolutely gorgeous That's film. A masterpiece, yeah. And if you always want to talk about beautiful films, Coco. Yeah, Coco is beautiful, but none of those films left me feeling the way that I felt after Mission Impossible. Paul, any honourable mentions? For yeah, you? quite a few. Well, I say quite a few. Uh, obviously, Star is Born. You've just mentioned that was one that was very, very close to being top slot for me. Um, Apostle which came out on Netflix around October time um, also I should have mentioned it in Biggest Surprise because I had no idea about it and then I'm really hooked by a really good horror film from uh, Gareth Edwards the director of the Raid franchise I think this is his second ever English language film when you consider that he's been making films for he is from well he's from Wales been making films for 15 years now that's that's quite quite a feat um, but it's a really really great um, horror film I thought this year um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri mm-hmm. right at the start of the year fantastic film I think 
I mean, I'm sure you, you guys did a fairly in-depth review on it at the time. Yeah, because I saw it afterwards. Yeah. Um, the big one that I want to spend a little bit of time mentioning is um, Sorry to Bother You, which I know that Andy did I not thought, like. I thought this was going to be your film of the year. No. I thought one of you would pick it, and I thought it might be you. Um, it was... I w- would have probably gone for A Star Is Born first, I think, in the <laughs> end, anyway. over like If I had to rank them, I think after the post, it probably would have been A Star Is Born, and then it would have been yeah. this. Um, but Sorry to Bother You is a the debut film from um, Boots Riley, and is all sorts of genres all mishmashed together <laughs> into um, a contemporary... The audience thought we were done talking about it, but here I we are. Pro- I did promise that we were done talking about it, didn't I? Fifth time round. Because <laughs> it's been reviewed three times now oh, has on it? the podcast. Okay. Yeah, Once well, when I saw it at the LFF, yeah. once when I saw it when it came out yeah. theatrically, and then, and, then, and then once when Andy yeah. saw it as a right. catch-up. Well, well, go go for it. Well, well I mean, I just think that it's, uh, it, it's, he's created a um, contemporary social commentary that is very, very... Um, Visually stunning, certainly, and I think it's slick and funny and deep all at once. Now I know that there is definitely a dissenting voice on this sofa. Um, I just think it's like the thing is, the more I think about it, like I did enjoy it in place, but I just feel it was a strong. Um, the reason I didn't go for the most disappointing for this was because. I thought you were going to do it as best, and I thought, oh, we'll have a conversation then. Mm. The reason I find it so disappointing is because I was built so high on it because A, it looked fantastic in the trailers, but also you two both came out of it like, oh, this is great. And it's so unfocused as a film that I just felt it loses so much from that. I And it misses out... It's, it's general conceit it has at the start, it completely misses. See, I thought um, that was part of the charm. I thought part of the point was it to be sort of not focus on any one particular issue because that's what that life is like. It's like there is maybe something that you are thinking of as being the most important issue and then you realise something else comes along and it's completely... It's true, and I I get that, but having such a scattergun approach to filmmaking means that whatever it was you were trying to talk about completely gets missed in the crossfire. Um, And I understand why you guys both enjoy it and I think there are things to really like in that film. But at the same time, I just think it completely misses the mark for me at times. And there is that point halfway through as well where I just go, no, I'm not in for this anymore. I don't need this anymore. But halfway through, quarter through. Yeah, you know, I know, you know, the, I know the one you mean. Um, I, I won't speak on it too much. No. I, I'll say uh, one or two lines. Uh, it was, you know, it was a film I was really looking forward to. And the, I mean, the reason it's not in my, it's not, it wasn't in the discussion for my best film of the year was because I think that the films that I had, the couple of films that I had in my discussion were, as far as I'm concerned, pretty much flawless. Whereas I do agree that there is, there are, there are sections in, in, in Sorry to Bother You where it definitely needs some tightening up, I think. Um, but you know, I still love the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, as I say, the only, the I just, I just think that the films that were in my discussion were, ones where I was going, I don't think I can find something here that I don't like. Yeah. See, this is it. I mean, this is why, the one reason, and this is what I said about why the post eventually got to be mine, was because it was the only film I saw that 
I don't think I had any real criticisms of. Yeah. And there is still that for sorry, uh, you know, there is still stuff in Sorry to Bother You that I did not like. There's still stuff in, um, you know, Three Billboards that I did not like. There's still stuff in Apostle that I did not like. But the post for me is the one that overall I just can't pinpoint anything that shouldn't have been in there. Um, the other films that were in my discussion, well, the other film, uh, was Leave No Trace. I only caught up with it yesterday. Yeah. It is mind-blowingly good. Um, really good example of uh, very intimate storytelling and talking about people who are displaced and feel like they've built themselves a home and why should why should anyone tell them where they can and can't live or how they can and can't live. Um and just really, it's a quiet film. There's not a lot going on in terms of dialogue, but there doesn't need to be. And what isn't said is more powerful than what is being said. So yeah. really, I, th- I think that was the only thing that came close to challenging. Um, you were never really here for me. The other one that would be in the sort of in the mix would be A Star is Born. I think there's a couple of issues that I've got with the film that stopped it from being yeah, up there yeah. with those two. Um, but certainly if we're talking about, uh, you know, a really quality made film, uh, you know, it, it feels like it's really robust and it feels like it's telling a story that, you know, you may have seen, you know, you've technically seen three times before if you've seen all the other versions, <laughs> but it's telling in its own way and it's this, it is the version of the film for the generation it's being made so, in. Yeah. Also, interestingly about, I just want to mention on A Star is Born as well, I know that we talk about it quite a lot, but I do think it's deserving and I think realistically it sounds like the f- the film that all three of us would agree on being very high up there yeah it'd be in all of them all of them yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think something that's very very important about it is that it has shown that um, Bradley Cooper a man who is most known for playing a drunk person in the Hangover franchise um, but it's shown that he is certainly ready to be a real important voice within filmmaking. He showed that with Limitless. <laughs> he showed that with Midnight Meat Train. <laughs> Forgot sure? about all my mentions of Midnight Meat, Midnight um, Meat Train. Yeah, so like, when we talk about it, so those are other films that we'd recommend go and see. When we talk about the three then, so we've got The Post, which I didn't catch, we've got... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing... <laughs> A theme... I've seen all three of these films. Yes. You've seen like, all the three thing of is, these films. You've seen, you've seen my film. <laughs> I have done Mission Impossible, but it's a film for me. Like, it falls it, completely it, it into It definitely one. is, like I always say, that it's a film where they've got a picture of you on the wall and they go, can we make a film for this man? And the thing is, is yes, that it's, it's, it's an example of, yes, they can, <laughs> but also they've made a film where, it, you know, I am not someone who cares for traditional blockbusters that yeah. much. I can take or leave them, and often I leave them. But this, you know, I, I caught it recently, and it really worked for me. I've, I'm gutted that you watched it on a plane, though. I'm actually a bit good that you saw it on a plane. Well, I still liked screen. it a lot. Yeah, and that's like, like it's it's probably in my top ten or fifteen on the, the big screen. I think it might have bumped it. I don't think it ever beat anywhere near your first. But I think it's it the best. Have... I think it's the best action film I've seen all year. So in terms of that, I would say you know. Job done. Yeah. If I saw it on a on a screen on a plane, and I still loved it as much as I did, and I think you know, Tom Cruise is someone who brings that that watchability to to whatever he does. Really, yeah. Because the thing about Tom Cruise is he's he's a pretty blank canvas of an actor, really, in my mind. Because 
The only time I've ever seen him really outside of that Tom Cruise is when he was in Collateral. Yeah. But when you I really at, enjoyed Collateral. I loved yeah, Collateral. Collateral um, friends, but when you look at, um, say, Jack Reacher and then mm. Ethan Hunt, they're the same person. Yeah. yeah. Um, but still, he's he's a charming, he's a watchable. Yeah. And I think I think you're right in terms of it doesn't really matter who's in that role. You're just glad that he is. I think in terms of he's been there for so long now, he's probably earned it, I mean, and he runs a lot. It's probably so pretty similar to let him have it. So I realise that basically Mission Before That is my number one, but it's not going to be the best. If that makes sense, like I mean, I, yeah, I know that I'm not going to win you to over with that, but at the same time, I'm glad it's in the conversation. And I, I can appreciate what you're saying in that. I think. When you say Christopher McQuarrie is someone who understands the franchise, I think he does, and I think he's he's got a real eye for being able to direct that sort of big action stuff. Um, and I was watching it going, and that Paris scene, I brought that up when, yeah, when that I was spoke to Paul about it. That was the specific scene that you I, I said, that's a really good scene. You know, <laughs> forget the helicopter stuff. That's that's the stuff that I'm not particularly caring about in terms, good, of, in terms of, yeah. I don't care about the thing where it's like, Oh well, he did this amazing stunt in it. It's like I'm more impressed by the scene before where he's in the, you know, where they're in Paris and they're being chased and you you're following three different things that are going on, but it yeah. all still makes sense. It's very difficult to do yeah. and to pull off. You've managed to do it. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. I think it I think it is really solidly done and it does make me think that if they make another one and Christopher McQuarrie's at the helm, you would do much worse than get those people back on board. Yeah. Um Okay, well, I've realised I'm the decider then because well, for me it comes between you two. So I know because I'm you know I'm, the only reason that I did not pick you were never really here is because I knew that that was already his number one. Hello. So uh, you were never really here would have been my number one yeah. if I know if if uh, I knew if I had hadn't known that Alex was going to pick it anyway. I wanted to like... wanted to provide a oh, different yeah. option for the listeners, something that again maybe. And I especially think with the post, it got lost in the fold of yes. the Oscar releases, especially being as it was sandwiched release-wise between Three Billboards and a shape of water, uh, The Shape of Water. Um, but no, You Were Never Really Here was perfect filmmaking. It, mm. it did everything. And most importantly for me, I think it is something where I it's very rare that, and I think it's, very common now for films to try to depict mental health issues on screen and I think it's very rare that they do it justice Mm -hmm. and I think that You Were Never Really Here is perfect for that it really portrays some some real psychological uh, elements to this character in ways that I've not seen done before and in ways that are quite frankly pure genius and what Joaquin Phoenix manages to do with pretty much zero dialogue about that topic is still portray this character that Lynn Ramsey has brought to life through the script and just the, it's so cohesive between all of it that there is nothing that tops it. Like this one, like last year, it, you talked about Raw. That was last year. Yeah. Was, but you talked about Raw a lot. And you Which as the years gone on, I've worked out probably is actually my favourite of last year. Like the what did you pick in the end? Florida Project, which actually right. won in the end. Um, but I remember you both talking about Raw a lot and being like, oh, this this film. And I was like, oh, I really believe you, but I'm never going to actually watch that mm-hmm. film because it's just not going to, I'm not going to be able to stomach it. This one, I feel... I think, I think very, you would be able to stomach it. This. And I'm going to be able to watch this yeah. one, so I'm actually really looking forward yeah. to seeing it. So Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot to like in it. And I think 
it's it's a it's a very quiet film at times, mm. but, but very visceral. quiet quiet when it needs to be. But it's visceral yeah. at the same time without being on screen visceral. Yeah, it's, it's not gratuitous, is it? No. It's and. Uh, and what I will say as well, just a final mention, uh, the score by Johnny Greenwood is oh. really, really good. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. This is I, what I mean. There's no other film this year that's come out that I think every single element of it, whether it's the score, the acting, the script, the direction, the, even, you know, the cinematography, all of it comes together. And there's some of the, you know, there's one particular scene that's depicted through CCTV footage. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really, really perfect. And it's so jarring to see against the rest of the film because it's the only scene shown through that method. Yes. Yes. Um, but you get why. Yeah. And that's one scene where you really get the feel for the sort of toll that this must be taking on him. Yeah. This, this business. That his life yeah. takes on him. Yeah. yeah. Because you see what he actually gets up to. And it's the reason that I'm cautiously optimistic about Joker next year. <laughs> so I think <laughs> I think that's pretty remarkable. Um but no, I do I do think and both of your choices are really good choices in terms of, you know, I loved the post. I thought it was a really great film and it felt like it was a proper it felt like a 1970s film. Yeah. Almost. And w- something that we mentioned uh, I know that me and you have had this conversation is that it's almost as if Spielberg makes better films when he doesn't really care as much about the story. Mm. Because Ready Player One was always seen as a big passion project for him because he wanted to do this whole thing that was, um, you know, very reminiscent of his early work, I guess, and very nostalgic to that. Whereas The Post is something that, that is, that is Steven Spielberg, you know, stripped back, no, CGI in it at all and done on a big uh, on a uh, relatively stripped back budget and it's and it's done with it's just a great script with great actors and a a visual style that they maintain the whole way through which you're right does feel very 1970s it's just a shame he's never made a good film in his life isn't it Mm. (laughs) god ready to one side but yeah um, (laughs) I think Mission Mission Impossible is that thing where I'm never going to be sold on a um, on a big budget blockbuster instantly. I don't think there are rare examples of it happening. This is one of them. I think when when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, okay, I get why this works." Yeah. It's the same feel that I had with Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, and it doesn't come along very often. But when it does, does I'm it. really happy because that's the sort of thing it should do. And it's why when you get films like, say, Independence Day Resurgence, and I just sat there going, I am so bored by a film that could be, you know, you could make exciting, perhaps. It's why when Spectre came out after Skyfall, Skyfall was great. Yes. Spectre is terrible. Why is it? Because no one, it doesn't seem to care. Mm. And this, this kind of is resting on its laurels of its previous situation. Yeah, and, well, and this feels like this is going. We've done that as well. This is, feels like it's going right. So the series is at an all-time high. Where do we go from here? How do we carry the ball from here? And it still manages to. And I think that's really good. I think, yeah, I think, I, I think I would happily see it again. Mm-hmm. And I would happily, you know, I'd happily see the post again. But the film I would never get tired of seeing is you were never really here. So there we go. That's our best film of the year. Woo! So we have. God, I'm tired. We've talked. We've talked a lot. It's, Christ, it's a long one. It's a two hour. Um, so remind me. Best uh, moment was start. I was born. Sam Sh- uh, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott dropping, dropping off Bradley Cooper. Let's move on quicker. <laughs> <I'm crying. laughs> 
Most disappointing. Most disappointing was Ready Player One. Some would say that it was also another thing. The biggest surprise was Love, Simon. Yes, the collective surprise. The worst film was Holmes and Watson. And And pray to God we never have to watch it. And the best film is You Were Never Really Here. Please do check out the other films that we've mentioned throughout this. Like, as you read yes. along, hopefully Apart from the ones, the other ones we mentioned on worse. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't, don't check those don't ones out. But, you know, any of the ones we've mentioned to go and see, do write down this. There has been, like I said, I think that this film hasn't been as great as previous years, um, but I do think that this year has had some really good gems in there, mm. some really good films. So do go and watch them, especially the ones by that studio, um, Violet Hayes Productions. Mm-hmm. Like those yeah. I, I heard uh, better than Spielberg. I heard that in as terms well. of hit rate. A lot of people would be hard because he's never made a good film. Um, um, all I'm saying is that in 2018, Violet Hayes had a 100% hit rate with its productions. <laughs> um, you see with Spielberg, only had 50%. Alex, yes. let's wrap things up. 2012 was a big year, guys. <laughs> and we had the Olympics... <laughs> We had. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not just... We had. No, wait. Hang on, because okay. I meant to say 2015, but um, 2015. Yeah, Dinosaur Man 15 on Twitter. Find us on Twitter at Dinosaur Man 15. You go three years, man. Uh, Team GB. Team GB. Uh, that was from 2012. Remember mm-hmm. that? The Olympics. That was good. Uh, guys, uh, if you'd like us, find us on Facebook and everywhere else at Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. Twitter's obviously the, the tw- Dinosaur Man 15, like I said. Johnny Neves did the theme song. This time it was accompanied by fireworks and a big brass bland. A bland? Big brass bland. That's right. Uh, Andy, you hosted. I, I was here, please. Okay, thanks, man. And thank you for joining me. Thanks for adjudicating. And thank you, Paul. No lemma. Same time next year. Yeah, yeah. be here again. Hopefully, for a much better year in film. I don't know. We got Shazam. Well, it's going to be the best year of all time. We've always got to hope for a better year in film, don't we? Exactly. We always want progression. Exactly. So thank you, guys, yeah. and we'll see you next time. See you next year. Oh no, wait. It's already 2019. See you this year. Woo! Woo! Got away with that one. Save my ass, there, guys. Die. Die. Die.